Oh, you know what time it is. Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to do our best to help you be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Ritual and Headspace. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who is tracing all of the rays, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Happiest of happy Thanksgivings to you and all of our listeners here in the United States. I hope you have a fantastic and safe holiday, and you make all the right choices, and we can start new traditions of flattening this curve again. But happy Thanksgiving. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so thankful for everyone that's listened to this show. And as pointed out on our subreddit, Mr. Kanata, we have podcast an entire console generation. Congratulations. Whoa! How did that happen? Oh, we my started goodness. started show, like, right after the last gen started. And here we are still trucking, still trucking along. So thank still you, along. listeners, and thank you, Jeff. Um, our guest this week, I'm not going to reveal you because I want to wait for Jeff's intro, but I do not thank you. I think everybody else. No, well, <laughs> I am very grateful. I'm very grateful as well to our listeners, to all of the guests that we've had uh, in our in our year. Uh, this is a crazy year. You, usually when you say be safe this holiday, it means like, you know, don't ch- ch- uh, choke on the stuffing. You know what I mean? It's like be chew your food and don't overdo it. Uh, uh, this year, it's a little different. So I hope people, like you said, are making the right decisions and being safe because my goodness, uh, we're still in it. But yeah, it's pretty wild to think that we uh, we've done an entire console generation and not a short console generation. There have been shorter console generations than this one. <laughs> and this one was on the longer side of a console generation. Here we are in uh, it's squarely in the new current generation, which is pretty exciting. And we're going to be talking a lot about that this episode. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about. It's just raining games right now. I mean, we are fully in the part of the year and so you know we want to we want to focus on as much as we possibly can and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know the dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week i am so excited because dlc stands for detroit's local caster because from the midwest game nerds podcast the founder of the midwest podcast network Mr. Alex Morell joins us for the first time. Hey, Alex. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Christian. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing good, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk about all of the the, the, the too many games that there are out there. There's too many for me to try and play. And yeah. uh, and so just trying to get through that list of launch titles and all that stuff. And, and Oh, I'm sorry, Alex. You thought this was a video game podcast? It's not. Fraud voting. Let's get into it. Busted. Oh, man. We lured right. you here with video games, and now oh, we're going to hold your feet to the fire. Detroit, <laughs> <Not> huh? <laughs> Never heard of it. Is it a city? Let's get into it. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I, I apologize on behalf of, uh, you know, the city, the state, a lot of the stress that it may have caused during the recent <laughs> election. But, uh, you know, it, there's only so much all I can right. do as one person. So it's all right. We're going to do our best to get our minds off of that, despite what Christian wants to talk about. <laughs> we will, we will jump in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions or recommendations, even your own reviews. If you want to talk about a game that maybe we've overlooked, feel free to send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also join our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Lots of fun folks hanging out in the subreddit, talking about games, talking about the show. And our Discord is rocking and rolling as well. 5x5dlc there as well. Cool community. I urge you to take part. Alex, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, I went a little off the beaten path this week, but I saw at the end of the week that the the folks over at the Video Game History Foundation have uh, released a, a video and a very lengthy and technically detailed blog post about the Sega VR system. Yeah. Uh, it's a peripheral for the Sega Genesis that was never fully released, but was playable at CES 1993 and 94. And uh, apparently they have found a way to emulate the Sega VR headset using uh, Open VR and uh, and an HTC Vive Cosmos. And yeah. um, it, it's I, I love the stuff that the folks at the Video Game History Foundation are doing. I think game preservation is something that is extremely important. And uh, and and I'm always glad to see the work that they're doing. But this seemed like it was on a whole nother level. Um, it, it, it looks like they managed to hear tell of one of the five games that was in development for the peripheral. They found source code for it. Yeah. So not only did they recompile that source code into a playable ROM, but then they also went the extra mile and figured out a way to trick the using like build an emulator to trick the ROM into thinking that one of these Sega VR headsets is connected. And, what, a, um, what a wild thing this is. What a wild, wild story this is. This is sort of the the undiscovered country of emulation, right? We've gotten to the point where we can pretty much emulate anything through history. I mean, I, I remember growing up in in, in uh, the diggity diggity 90s, uh, the, uh, you know, the, I was old enough to be into the emulation scene pretty hard in the 90s. And it was like, can you emulate these things? Do we have the power? Are you able to unlock... All of that is moot at this point. Like emulation is is so matured that what we get to now is, oh, we're going to emulate hardware that was never released. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's so bonkers. Absolutely. The, the blog post on GameHistory.org is just chock full of the coolest details, some of which sail right over my head, most of which even really, but... Uh, you can see videos of the game being played. You can see some of the CES demos of the Sega VR headset that I honestly had no idea even existed, even though I probably saw the ad for it in like a Game Pro at some point in the 90s. But uh, yeah. it's just one of the coolest things that I've ever seen, the idea that they would be able to 
reverse engineer and you know slip their way into emulating this this experience and uh it, they have the the uh, links to the github repositories so if you are braver than i you can go out and try to play this emulated sega vr game in your own vr headset i'll try it at some point i think but uh it's just it's mind-blowing to me and and i'm glad that there are people out there that are doing the work like this oh totally uh, by the way the, the game is called nuclear rush yes uh and uh it you know this is a vr game that predates vector graphics like like it, you know it's pixels right it's pixels mm-hmm. that they put into vr uh it is uh it's sprites <laughs> and uh, just the idea the audacity of even attempting something like this of of finding the source code for a game never finished never released but was demoed as you said on hardware that was never finished never released never turned into a consumer product no, like the idea that you would even be able to know if you're on the right track on like being able to reverse engineer the the source code to the point where like, oh, it's calling on things from the hardware that <laughs> did certain, you know, it, it's got to be such a wild, uh, you know, um, Da Vinci Code-esque puzzle to solve. You know, it's it's just uh, it's super cool. And what a neat story. Uh, I haven't tried it either, but I, I was reading about, like you. I started reading all the like the technical stuff because they go into very I- I- extreme detail about Absolutely. the steps that went into this. And I, yeah, I it went over my head very, very fast. But uh, so cool, uh, Christian. Did you hear about this story? I know you're a you're a huge fan of retro and emulation. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, I love it. We we talked about uh, Blake's book, Console Wars, and the the film, the documentary film as well. And I feel like this just tracks, just Sega in general, tracks with so much of what that film and book went into and what Sega was in that era of like, I mean, they were ahead of their time in so many ways. And I know that this headset never came out, but just like the things that they were playing with. And I mentioned other companies too and R&Ding and stuff like that, but just... It, it, it's just mind blowing. It, it, it's mind blowing that it was a thing that people played back then. And then I think it's even like, as you both mentioned, more mind blowing that someone is playing it now. And I liked the video too, where, it, you know, he's like, it doesn't track roll. And it like shows, you know, moving the head the other way, but like it does track this. And I'm like, it works. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fascinating. And, and then there's not a lot of nausea. It seemed, you know, like under the hood for a while playing this thing, it's, it's wild. I'm curious to see what like, the equivalent of that like i'm curious to see what they do like this is a google glass uh (laughs) you know like what are our things that we're living like this is a tesla it thinks it drives itself like i'm getting out of my flying car to show you this you know but uh right it's really cool and last thing sorry it's it's mind-blowing to me like it wasn't that long ago you know like in terms of how fast tech progresses like yeah that wasn't that long ago. And now I'm playing walking dead saints and sinners or on a, on a wireless headset or half-life Al. It's just like, it's wild. Yeah. I I was just going to say, I think, you know, they're going to be reverse engineering HD DVD or something like that for when, (laughs) you know, yeah, this was an expansion disc drive for the Xbox 360. (laughs) Yeah. We engineered uh, supernatural season two to play. (laughs) No, it's gotta be that, that kind of thing. What it always is, is the thing that we don't think is important, right? Like the reason that comic books and action figures became collectible is because an entire generation of moms threw out 
<laughs> kids comic books and action figures, right? Because they thought they were completely disposable and, and so did not the kids. a collector's item. Like Sandlot, air, you know, it's like bent back pocket. You bought it for a quarter right? threw it away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. And that's why it became valuable because it, it created scarcity. And then the people that did have the mint condition of those things, it, it was a big deal because there weren't any. And th- that's what it's got to be is something that we're not even anticipating right <laughs> now because we're like, yeah, who cares about that stuff? And then there's some some genius who's hoarding it in her garage and going, yeah, I, I, in 2047, this will all be worth millions, you know? This uh, catalog for Amazon, <laughs> an online retailer, was mailed to homes yeah, in yeah. 2020. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Almost well, I, I have my Game Boy camera and printer waiting for that day, Jeff. So, uh, you know, whenever we get there, it's <laughs> still got the original boxes, too. So Ooh. I'm into it. Yeah, original boxes. I'm all about the original boxes. Um, this is a super cool story. And, and uh, I'm, as, as you are, I'm impressed with the video game history foundation and, uh, it's just neat. It's, I, I don't think it's something that I would play for enjoyment, but it is, it, you know, you get to look back in time and see what was a pre, what was cap- uh, excuse me, possible then. Um, and, uh, that's neat. You know, that's neat to see how far we've come in such a short period of time and what people were working on that never made the light of day. It's all very fascinating. For sure. I, I'm waiting for their update where they find the four other rumored games that were being worked right. on. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see I mean, if this they... is the kind of thing that would like bring someone forward and be like, oh, yeah. I have a bunch of floppy disks in my <laughs> yeah. closet. You know, <laughs> it'd be like some guy, some guy reading it, an article about this would be like, oh, yeah, I worked on those. I, I think I have them somewhere. You know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, there's one other thing I want to talk about, but I, I think this other thing is a more important story. And I, Jeff, you can probably guess the order of these. I think the big story of this week um, that we haven't talked about yet is as it is the time of year, that most wonderful time of year, we're right around the corner from the Game Awards. Our friend, your friend, everybody's friend, the other friend Jeff. Of the show. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Jeff Keeley and the Game Awards just gets bigger and better every single year, has announced their nominees um, across all the categories. I think the most interesting. Go ahead. Wait, 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 wait. Before you even get there, I'm shocked that you're bringing this up because this is, you're notoriously anti the Game Awards. <laughs> so I'm. I I don't think as a an award it has the prestige of other award style shows. Right. Right. Like but you. But video. beyond that, you don't even think there should be an award show. Is my understanding? Maybe I'm wrong here. But based on nearly eight years of us doing this show, <laughs> and like. Three or four years before that of doing a different show about video games. I feel like maybe I got, I don't know, a, a whiff of a trend in your thinking about this kind of thing. I think it's a big story. I didn't say it's personally super important. No, <laughs> okay. I mean, I, so my stance for people who don't listen, everybody that does listen, sorry. My, my, my view, <laughs> You're literally talking to people who don't listen? <laughs> that haven't listened for the past 15 years that you just rattled <laughs> off. And yes, if you're listening to the show, go find someone else in your house who doesn't listen and explain this to them. Put the, put the headphone in for just this part. If you don't listen, I'm, a, I'm talking to you, non-listener. If you do listen, stop listening. So now I'm talking to you too. I, I find that having a game of the year award oftentimes the way this show does it uh there's too many games people don't play all of them and the cross comparison of genres styles this game that game to then come out with one objectively best 
you know, game and then with fan voting coming in, I think it's, I think it's messy much in the same way that I think NBA all-star game and stuff like it's just, it's a popularity contest and that I've, that ruffles my feathers, but I do think it's a big story to talk about what they nominate as their game of the year. So that's, I, to me, that dichotomy makes sense. You're ribbing of me. 100% makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And, and is fully is fully warranted, um, but that's that's the background, and I'm sure I'll get there come the actual award show again. But what hasn't changed also over these past you know umpteen years is I'm blown away by the work that Jeff and Co does. Like this show is clearly a passion project; it keeps getting bigger, and as I mentioned, better and better, and really finding that you know middle ground of like hyping new product, bringing respected people together in the industry in a way that hasn't happened before. Um, really cool orchestral moments and things like that. Like the show always does something incredible. And I'm curious to see, you know, what they do this year and that, and you know, the COVID era. Um, but the story that I think is interesting to our non-listeners <laughs> <laughs> are the nominees for game of the year, which are Doom Eternal, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, the winner Animal Crossing New Horizons, and The Last of Us Part Two. And I think it's a really interesting mix of games for 2020. This Hades game. I've, I've never, never heard of this one. I'm surprised yeah. I mentioned it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I think it's a pretty interesting cross-section of what this year has been. And I'm curious what your take is, Jeff, and what your take is, Alex. I uh, I think it's a fascinating list as well. I mean, what a year we have had, uh, even amidst the pandemic there has been i think a an extremely high level of games coming out i think there's a lot of juicy stories coming out about this or that we could get into about this um one of them for my money any game of the year list that doesn't have half-life alex on it is mm-hmm. travis shamakery mm-hmm. it like it's it's just ins- i mean i know that there are multiple nominations in the game awards for half-life alex including best vr game which it will w- walk away with no problem um and I I do think it's analogous to something like the Academy Awards having a best animated feature Oscar and therefore no animated features win the best picture Oscar because they have their own category. You know, it feels like kind of what's happening here a little bit. But the idea that you could say that Half-Life Alex isn't among the games of the year, it is it's ridiculous. It just seems like it is doing something completely new and different and doing it with uh, such a high level. Anyway, that's my bugaboo uh, about the list, but I think there are lots of other things that we can say. And and I do want to talk about the individual games that made game of the year. And if you guys think there are any notable games that have been overlooked that should have been on this list, but I want to talk about this listener email as well. We got uh, Jack Gallagher sent us an email that dlcfeedback at gmail.com. And it's actually the second or third year he sent this. And I didn't talk about it last year. I think we should have, but I never got around to it. Uh, But he followed up this year. He said, uh, hey, I'm following the recent nominee announcements for Game of the Year Award from Jeff Keighley's Game Awards. Let's check in on where the industry is with championing violence. He says, this year we have five titles where violence is the primary source of interaction with the world. Doom, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, The Last of Us Part Two. I only with heard two, four games there, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. With two of these titles, in particular, delving into ultra-gratuitous violence, 
with Last of Us Part Two and Doom. And finally, we have a single nonviolent game, Animal Crossing, which he says, Jack says, is his pick for Game of the Year. Uh, now let's take a look back at 10 years ago at the show's predecessor. The nominees were Halo Reach, Mass Effect 2, Red Dead Redemption, Call of Duty Black Ops, God of War 3. Jack says, not much has changed, has it? We actually haven't had a year in the past 10 years where more than one game was nominated for Game of the Year where the primary interaction with the world wasn't violence. What's your take? Why does the industry still champion violent games above all else? What's wrong with Microsoft Flight Simulator, Dreams, or Bug Snacks? I think that's a really interesting, provocative question that Jack asks. And Alex, I wonder what your feelings about that are. I I mean, he's got the facts. I can't argue against him that he's wrong because he's completely right. Um, and for me, I think a lot of it is is a pure numbers game. You know, I think the money in video games in a lot of cases is that broad mass appeal, doing cool things, fighting people in an action game kind of game. And and so I think a lot of times that's what pulls focus with, with the game of the year contenders. But I, I agree that I, I hope that changes in the future. And and I I know some of my personal favorite games or game of the years in years past, things like The Witness or Fez or even Outer Wilds recently, like there's a lot of great video games out there that do not rely on violence to be kind of the primary interaction with their world. And yeah. So, you know, I think it's something that needs to change, but I also, you know, it's like finding like a great art house movie that you just found or like a nice indie movie or something like that. There's these diamonds in the rough that the people who are paying attention are going to see, but you know, they're not the ones that are getting the multi-million dollar ad campaign on TV, you know, showing right. the latest destiny trailer or whatever's out there. So you know, I, it, it is I, interesting that that in the movie industry, if you're making a parallel there, that the movies that tend to make the most money, that have the biggest budgets, that are the big spectacle movies, tend not to be the ones that are given the awards, right? And that's not the case with video games. With video games, it's the same games. It's the most successful games, the biggest budget games, the biggest the biggest spectacle games, the the ones with the most explosions, you know, for lack of a better generality, yeah, uh, are the ones that also get the awards. And I, I'm not saying that, I'm not pointing that out because I think it's necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but I do think it's an interesting situation where there, it's not like we don't have an, a, a vibrant indie video game scene where people are doing really interesting daring outside the box things i mean it's it we do have just like the indie film community does or not even just indie films but smaller budget movies that tend to be the awards stuff you know that there is that analogous thing in video games so it's not like we're we're just not getting those games it's just not the games that get the awards attention at the end of the year so i don't know really what what the explanation for that is yeah, and and I guess uh, there's like even more hidden variables to my analogy here because the movies that do receive those accolades at the end of the year are often ones that are playing even another game at campaigning for those awards in terms of like spending right. money to to nominate people amongst the academy or whatever. Sure. And 
I think there's some of that obscured for us too here in video games because it's not like a lot of these indies are out there and have the connections to say, hey, you know, Jeff Kanata, Christian, you know, Jeff Gerstman, everybody, you know, Jeff Keeley, please play my game. Everybody's trying to get through to those people who can yeah. vote on these awards and nominate these games. So I, I it think is all the Jeffs that, that for we're, sure. we're a, a cabal of Jeffs <laughs> that control all the awards and video games. Um, it, I should be fair and say, you know, lest people email us and scream at their podcasting app. Uh, it, yes. Hades is an indie, right? It is an indie that made the list. Yeah. So uh, it is an independent game. It's just an independent game that plays a lot like, uh, you know, all these other games in, in a lot of ways. It's, yeah. and I think Jack, Jack Gallagher makes a, um, makes a fair point about the way these games are all sort of about murdering a lot of people. Um, Christian, do you have any feelings about that? I mean, uh, being overly reductive, I think a lot of media across all forms is about conflict. And while there are examples of video games that, highlight conflict or are fun and interesting without violence video games are still very much in it i mean it's very much i think in their infancy and i don't know if this is an excuse or just a justification or or just a in the moment thought but the way that a a lot of games are and you you overcome obstacles is with violence is how you solve that um conflict right you interact with things even Super Mario Brothers, it's violence at the end of the day. You know, it's not hyper-realistic violence, but it is violence. You need to get to point A to point B without things killing you or you killing things. Pac-Man, violence. Qbert, violence. Um, Centipede, violence. Uh, Space Invaders, violence. A lot of violence. Um, And today, in in a lot of the games, violence. I think a lot of other media also has a lot of violence. Um, I don't know if it's just, again not really putting a lot of thought into this until now as we're sitting here having this conversation, but there are shows. Um, I'll mention it again later. The crown is one that comes to head right now. Um, and certainly uh, films where it's not a lot of violence, but there's a, there's a lot of violence, you know, whether it's 24 uh, breaking bad Sopranos, uh, the wire, you know, list off. Yeah, your- I don't think, you know, I don't think violence per se is bad. And I don't want us to any listeners to, especially non listeners that may be listening. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I don't want them to misunderstand and and say that we just think that violence is bad uh, on its face. I don't, I don't have that. I love violent video games. I enjoy, I enjoy defeating an enemy. I I like uh, taking down a, you know, doing a headshot. All those things are, are viscerally fun and speak to a, sort of primal evolutionary need that that we as human beings have to conquer and and i i think that in a lot of ways video games pl- provide a safe space for that and are healthy a healthy outlet for that aggression but i also think that they as an art form which i believe they are have the capability to do so much more and that awards a- awards shows have the ability to highlight games that try something new. And if you look, I mean, if you look at the list of games here, there's not a lot of variance in the way in which you experience the virtual world, right? Um, Even Half-Life Alex, which I think should have made the list, is in the same category. 
you know, but I, Animal I, Crossing is really the only game that asks you to do something else. I do think that part of this, though, and, and this kind of goes back to the initial part of this conversation, the Game Awards is, in my head, much closer to the MTV Movie Awards than the Oscars or even like the Grammys for music yeah. Grammys. Like it is, it is in my head, much more popularity contest and fan voting and big bombastic. So I think some of that nuance exists there. Um, not to say that these big bombastic games don't also win like BAFTA awards and other awards, but I, I think that's a big, a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair criticism or observation. Um, so, I mean, I just think it's an interesting email that we got, and I appreciate Jack for, for bringing that up. And he's brought it up several years in a row now, and uh, I, I'm grateful for that because it it does challenge my thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Because I do think there are lots of games that just don't get that spotlight shown on them, and are asking different things of a of a player. Um, but let's just talk about the list as it stands. Alex, uh, first of all, of these five, six, excuse me, six games, uh, which would you award game of the year to? And is there a notable exception or two that, that you wish had made the list and you, you would give instead of any of these games? So I have, as of right now, I've played five of the six in, in at least some capacity. I can't say that I've finished all of them. Hades. Barely anybody has heard of Hades. So yeah. I what understand. is Hades? No. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I went to the bathroom. What's up? I'm back. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Doom Eternal is the only one that I have not played. Uh, not because I didn't like the previous Doom. I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I just wasn't necessarily looking for more Doom, especially in the year that is 2020. Yeah. Um, but personally, there's a crazy amount of fondness and nostalgia for Final Fantasy VII, and that is certainly a game that captured my attention for a great period of time. And I would love to see it win, even though it feels creatively bankrupt and I'm terribly conflicted about wanting that to win. Um, <laughs> but even though you guys haven't heard of it, I know you're joking about that. Hades is an incredible game and and I think uh, builds upon everything that uh, Supergiant's been working on in the past several years. And I think uh, it would be... It, it, you'd know the the award would be going to the right person, I think, in the case of Hades, because like yeah. they, the fact that they're even on the game of the year list as an indie developer and an indie game, uh, I think speaks volumes. So, um, yeah, it, that would be an incredible win. In terms of other things that I think may have been missed, I totally agree about Half Life, Alex. I played it earlier this year. I purchased a Valve Index just to play Half Life, Alex, mm-hmm. and uh, it is. Once again, just another, that, that's a game where like, I feel like I need to play more of it because I didn't know that I could do some of the things that you can do in that game. Like I didn't, I couldn't force my body to work the way that the game would allow me to work. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I saw these videos of people like, you know, di- diving behind cars and whatever. And maybe it's just like the fact that I'm playing in like a two square foot area in, in a room, uh, you know, I got to build myself a VR house or something, but yeah, we all do. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it's a shame that it's not on the list. I would have loved to see it there, but other than that, I don't necessarily know that there's anything else that I've played this year that I'm like, eh, you know, I, I played a lot of animal crossing. I think the last of us part two was a fantastic game. And, and I, you know, I have some, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily love the the direction that they took the story because I felt the eye for an eye story was a little bit 
kind of overdone in, in video games and all kinds of, of media, but you know, and Ghost of Tsushima, fantastic open world game. And, and I, you know, I think they did a great job of bringing Japan into the, you know, the video game world that they created. Um, but this is a strong list of contenders. The fact that I've played five out of the six, I think says, says a lot too, because it's not necessarily like I've always played all the games that are on the game of the year list. So I think it's a, it's a great list of games. Yeah. If, if I had to make a bet, I actually think Hades has a real shot. Uh, I, it seems like a dark horse, but I feel like that, that game could really be the one that, that voters rally around. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a, phenomenal game it feels like a labor of love it's a game that every single detail seems like it was painstakingly labored over you know Mm -hmm. it it just it it's a fantastic game chock full of content i think it has a real shot my pick actually may surprise people i think the game that's actually going to win if it's not hades which i think could win uh is going to be ghost of tsushima i think that game is the one that wins but um Christian, what is what do you think? I, I think it's an interesting list of games. I think 2020 has been an incredible year for video games, and we're still, you know, 20 Step Cyberpunk hasn't come out yet. But I, every year I start a list of, like, things that I, like, oh, I really enjoy this game. I'll add it to my list so I can keep track. When we do our show, um, kind of recap the year. And right now on my list that I need to whittle down to five, as this list is currently six for uh, the Game Awards, I have 17 games on it. <laughs> and like wait, some wait, 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 Christian, Christian. <laughs> yes, that's a yes. list with with too many games on it, and, and some clearly won't make it into the top five. Like I know already. Um, I'll, I'll say one. All right, like Scourge, Scourgebringer. I really, really liked that game when it came out in early access on Game Pass. I think it was phenomenal, and I added it to my list. It is not going to crack into my top five, but it's a phenomenal game. And so I think it's a every year it's hard to kind of get a list down. We talk about on this show, Jeff, like getting it down to five is like hard. And I mm-hmm. think they have a nice selection of, of six games here. I don't agree with all of them. There are certainly games I would change. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it's hard to go wrong with most of these games. And I'm very biased. Uh, I can't separate the fact that I, you know, did a podcast for them, but Last of Us Part Two knocked knocked my socks off. It, it, you talked about how Hades everything feels intentional. Like that game, everything was so well designed. And yeah, you're right. From, from sound design to level design to performances of the actors, but all of these games, I think that's what you can point to is the quality of the game. Animal Crossing Two, the first year with Nintendo doing you know seasonal events, and I, I think mostly they've done a really good job with it. It's a game that my kids are still very excited to play. Like we're playing for sure on Thanksgiving. You know, like yeah. as the new seasons come in and new events come in and new bugs to catch and terraforming. Um, it's been an incredible year for games. So, I, yeah, it's and it's wild that Final Fantasy VII Remake is on here because that still means it's out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought up another point before we even move off this topic, which I know we've been on a long time. But I, I think the other big interesting point about the game awards and where they sit in the year is you brought up the fact that cyberpunk 2077 isn't out i would suspect i mean obviously none of us have played the game yet but i think it's a fair bet to say it's gonna be pretty good and uh it will probably make 
a lot of best of the year lists. Yeah, speaking of indie games, Jeff, there's right, another one. Yeah. Well, and technically, it technically is. It yeah, is. It's like Star Wars: A New Hope was an indie film when it came out. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and I suspect it will it will win a lot of publications game of the year uh, if it is as good as it indications seem to uh, seem to project. But because of the way the game awards are situated, it will not be part of this year's game awards. The same thing happened last year with Jedi Fallen Order, where it came out in a weird time. It didn't make last year's and people thought, oh, well, maybe it'll loop around and be eligible next year. No matter, I mean, you could argue that game wouldn't have made the list anyway based on its level of quality. But I think that if it had come out under the wire, it probably would have been nominated for something. Mm -hmm. And of course, completely blanked out. It just fell between the cracks. Nobody's thinking about Jedi Fallen Order this year when there's so many amazing games. Now, maybe that won't happen with Cyberpunk because it seems to have longer legs than a Jedi Fallen Order potentially. But you, it could it could be the game that, you know, everybody thinks of as that 2020 game. And here we are in 2021, you know, next year at this time, we're talking about games of the year and there's no Cyberpunk 2077. I mean, Alex, do you think that that's problematic? You know, I think there's got to be a cutoff at some point, right? But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're talking as though I, I, I'm trying not to get my hopes up that Cyberpunk's even coming out on the 10th of December, like it supposedly is. But <laughs> there are so many. Uh, I mean, not that I've been out of my house very much, but I do go to pick up food from now and now and again. And there are so many uh, bus stop signs and and billboards in my neighborhood that that are Xbox branded that say Cyberpunk December tenth, twenty twenty. I'm like, boy, somebody got somebody thinks it's coming out. <laughs> what, <laughs> hey, what you know what? These ads thinks it's coming out. There's also like Halo Infinite Monster Energy drinks, I believe, and I think there's like <laughs> Dune action figures that are out too. That's so you know, point. fair it, point, fair point. But you know, at at the same time, I think Cyberpunk is one of those. It's such a monument already without having even come out that I think there might be a lot of people that are planning to make concessions for how they will handle this game for game of the year discussion. You know, whether it's like December 10th is even late for publications to be playing that game for contention. Right. Um, not that, you know, making print date matters that much anymore, you know. You well, luckily, you know, the, the game is the game is only a few hours long, so I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that'll be easy It's for only everybody. just a couple minutes. It's like a nice experience. <laughs> you um, just, just power your way through cyberpunk in a few <laughs> hours, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But no, I, I'm very excited for it. And I, and I think uh, it might be just in, in just the right place where it could make somebody's 2020 and 2021 lists, you know? So we'll have to see exactly what happens there. But, uh, you know, it, 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 I feel like cyberpunk can move mountains if it wants to, (laughs) it seems that way. And uh, obviously I'm making lots of assumptions that it is a game of the year candidate, but it sure seems that way. And and certainly CD project reds track record and their, level of commitment with regard to this title seem to indicate that it is that level of project. So I think, um, I think it's safe to say, I mean, Christian, do you think that it's problematic that this game isn't considered in what Keeley at least wants to brand as a definitive game of the year list? No, I, I, I don't. I think it does represent kind of the game's landscape, um, more so than than not where like had the game hit its you know one of its earlier launch dates would it be considered i don't know maybe 
But I think it also illustrates that to CD Projekt Red and I think other publishers as well, making rushing to get a game out f- for game of the game awards, game of the year isn't a consideration. It's not yeah, necessarily sure an Oscar boost the same way. Like we, you know, trying to find, as Alex mentioned, like the behind the scenes lobbying that goes into Oscar movies, like when to launch, when to release, how you start here to get this campaign out and get Scarlett Johansson in front of these people and Tom Hanks in front of these right. people. It's just kind of like cyberpunk is going to be huge. They will release a game of the year edition. Uh, it'll be a very good edition. They will show a bunch of quotes, uh, probably from E3, you know, when people raved about it and quotes when it came out, people raved about it. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Maybe when people are digging up the, uh, the lost transcripts for old game awards and the game, uh, game award preservation society. <laughs> and they look at a list and like, huh, cyberpunk was never on. Like then I think you might see, like have some curiosity ab- around that. But I think the game itself will do fine. I think it not being included in it, Alex mentioned, you got to have a cutoff at some point. And CD Projekt Red is, you know, they're going to get the game out when it, when it's coming out. And I don't yeah. think they care to make this. The, the, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's a sales consideration at all for that game. But it is it is an interesting tidbit because I think if you have, you know, one of the potentially one of the greatest games of a generation, at least that's what they're aiming for, right? Um what generation though? That's the thing. It's like Crocs generation <laughs> point. launching, really not with the next generation patch. No, but. you're right. We should just all not play it. Screw that game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it'll be the first uh, lifetime achievement award for the game, <laughs> the game awards. No. Well done. Well done. Um, all right. Well, before we get to my story of the week, I, or actually maybe even Christian's second story of the week. I don't Woo-hoo. know. I don't know how he was teeing that up. Uh, let me thank our first sponsor, which is ritual. You've heard me talk about ritual before uh it's a it's a multivitamin which you go okay multivitamin is that boring no it's necessary even if you treat your body right even if you're eating well and doing all the kinds of things you want to do to make your body live long and be healthy and and you know especially in this world right now where everybody's worried about being healthy chances are there's lots of extra vitamins that you're not getting in your diet That's where a supplement comes in. It supplements your diet and it gives you that multivitamin that, that all fills in all those gaps. But ritual isn't your typical multivitamin. It's clean. It's vegan friendly and it's made with key nutrients in forms that your body can actually use. No shady extras. This was created by someone who wanted transparency, who wanted you to be able to know what you're putting in your body. It's It's made for the same kind of people that check the labels on their food. You know, you don't, when you put something in your body, you want to know where it's coming from. You want to know that what's in it. And Ritual is transparent. It, is, it shows you exactly what's in it. My wife, who loves her Ritual, this, for a long time, Ritual was just for women. And my wife was using uh, her Ritual, uh, and she would get a bottle periodically. And, and she loved it because you can have it anytime. You don't have to eat with it. You can, uh, you don't have, a lot of these multivitamins you have to have with food or it'll upset your stomach. Not so with ritual, the, uh, delayed release capsules that they use. You don't have to take them with food. You can take them without food. You can take them on your schedule, which is super nice. And a lot of, uh, the women's vitamins, especially with the omega threes, they'll give you bad breath. So ritual thinks of that. And they have a, a mint tab in every one that helps out with the bad breath, which is pretty great. My wife absolutely loves her ritual. And now they do ritual for men as well. It's pretty great. It's designed for different life stages. Uh, it's available for men, women, and teens. Also, 
and they're scientifically developed to help support those different life stages. It's great. And it makes healthy habits easy because it's delivered right to your door. Periodically, you know, you can just subscribe to it. It's simple. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering listeners of DLC 10% off their first three months. Visit ritual.com slash DLC to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash DLC, dot com slash DLC to get yourself 10% off your first three months. Uh, I love it. My wife loves it. You should try it. Ritual.com slash DLC. All right. Uh, there's lots of interesting stuff going on in the world of games right now. And, you know, I'm tempted to talk a little bit about uh, the PS5's bricking from rest mode, which is weird, although not something I've experienced, thankfully. Uh, I'm tempted to talk about the fact that supplies of Xboxes are going to continue to be scarce through April, which is crazy. Uh, but I think what I'm going to decide on to talk about is something we've talked about a little bit before, but it seems like it's really coming into, into focus. And that is the $70 price point for this new generation that we're in. Uh, a couple of interviews this week with PlayStation boss, Jim Ryan, uh, where he said, yeah, it's, uh, this is what's going to happen. Uh, he says, I, I think $70 is a fair price. Uh, he said, quote, if you measure the hours of entertainment provided by video games, such as Demon Souls, compared to any other form of entertainment, I think it's a very straightforward comparison to draw. And it sounds like their first party games may all adopt this $70 price point going forward. And even Microsoft, when, um, when they were asked, Microsoft CFO Tim Stewart uh, was asked about this, and uh, he said, quote, we're not making specific announcements on first-party pricing yet. We'll do that in, in, in due time. But he alluded to the fact that publishers are going to take a look and make the right decision for their content. He says, quote, if they can drive a premium price point or a higher price point, I think that's warranted. He says prices have not gone up in what? For a couple of generations now, so it's not unheard of to see things like this going on. Alex, what do you think about the $70 price point? We've already seen it, you know, with uh, NBA 2K. Um, obviously, nobody wants to pay more for their games, but are you feeling like, especially with the way these consoles have rolled out and there, a lot of these games are available for last gen and the upgrades to the games are significant, but not absolutely game-breaking, not transcendent. What's your feeling about charging more this generation? You know, um, obviously my wallet heart hurts after buying a PlayStation 5 and, and even getting one or two of the games that came out at launch. But... Um, Demon Souls is one of those games that came out at $70. And, and I think if anybody we know is going to deliver on the promise of a $70 game, I think first party Sony games are probably there. Um, yeah. But the thing is they're right. They're absolutely right. That like cost, like the, the price point of video games, like we've been paying $60 since at least the start of the PS3 generation, but even before that back with, you know, older generations, $60 has kind of been a price that we've stuck around. 
And but it's not like it's getting any cheaper to make these video games. They need to put more people on it to make higher definition textures and make the animations more intricate and all the development costs and things like that, I think, are only going up. And it's something that's been kind of obscured by, you know, selling DLC and and uh, loot boxes and, and all of that economical stuff that comes into video games here. But, you know, I it's I I would like to pay $60 for video games going forward forever, but I just don't think that that is a realistic view. Um, so, yeah. you know, it, and... The thing is, my hope here would be that paying more money for these games would help to alleviate things like crunch time development for some of these, some of these studios. Whether or not that comes through in practice is something that I think remains to be seen. So. Yeah, probably not because, hey, uh, let's crunch because we got to get that $70 now instead of that $60. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, for me, it really, um, it really, highlights what Microsoft's strategy is with regard to Game Pass. And there was also some news today that there may be a, depending on how you parse a, a sentence said by one of the Sony executives, there may be a hint that Sony's thinking about doing something similar to Game Pass. I know, I know uh, that uh, PlayStation Now is similar to Game Pass, but it's not the same day and date stuff, mm-hmm. uh, new games. Um, but I think that, you know, if Microsoft is on board with this and if all the the next generation or current generation games are more expensive, it, it just makes Game Pass even more of a an insane deal. It's just, you know, 10 bucks a month, you get seven months of 100 games for the price of one game. Yeah. And you're getting, in a lot of cases, that game, <laughs> you know, that yeah. same game, yep. uh, which is, uh, it's extraordinary. And I, I hope that Sony jumps on that bandwagon. I hope we have a netflix versus amazon prime video type war of content rather than these 70 dollar games battling it out and i hope they make that viable and sustainable for the future for developers too because uh you know obviously we want games to be successful on 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 both sides but i just think from a consumer's point of view 10 bucks a month for all this great content and, and getting day and date first party Microsoft stuff is just such a huge win. Um, I think it, and you know, if everything goes up to 70, it makes it even a bigger win. So yeah. Christian, what's your, uh, what's your feeling about that? I mean, we, I know we've talked about this before, but it, it really does seem like everybody's on board. Yeah, I'm on board also. I'm, I'm much more okay with this than, and I think, you know, the patient, we've talked about being a patient gamer and you can get things on sale. And yeah, that's a great point too. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of value ways to play uh, other, uh, other games. But I would much rather have this than the thing that disappoints me about games, and it's rampant in mobile games. And also, obnoxiously present in console and PC games are the games they play around microtransactions and loot boxes and Oh, turn off ads. That's a dollar. Oh, now they're back. Now it's this for $5. Oh, you want to play again? That's $10. And it's, it's hidden. It's like when you start a game, that stuff's not prevalent. And then console games, um, like some mobile games are often like you start it, you don't see any of that stuff. And then it's like, now we got you. Now it's here. And they, they, they hope they have you hooked. And that's disgusting. And then Can I say something about that real quick before you go on? I, I, um, I have a new perspective on this. And I have to admit, I'm super late to this party and I understand it. I understand people will be maybe aggravated with me. 
by saying this because it was obvious, but until you have it in your personal experience, maybe it isn't obvious. But I had always been really thinking through this whole microtransaction issue from the perspective of an adult person. And now that I have a four-year-old who I am allowing to get on my iPad sometimes and is excited to play the Hot Wheels game that he found on the iPad, you know, or like, you know, he wants to play um, Thomas the Train or Hot Wheels. Those are the big apps that he's been playing on on the iPad. And I'm super excited to let him play a little Hot Wheels or a little Thomas the Train. Those apps are disgusting yeah like predatory. offensive yes predatory mm. absolutely and, and it was for the first time and again i know i'm super late to this party here but for the first time i was like oh this is really really bad for a four-year-old's brain and it's because grooming it, it, all, it's, yes exactly yeah. it's transforming this this person into this pavlovian lizard brain creature that, oh, you got to get the next thing. Here's just push on this. Oh, you you got to buy this pack. Oh, look at this cool new track set. Yeah, no, you got to pay $6.99 for this one to, to do all the cool jumps that you want to see. Oh, we'll give you a video preview of this. It, you just won a race. You know what you could get if you if you push this button and you're winning the race? And it's like, these games are designed for the kids my son's age, you know, four, five, six years old. This is not a discerning purchaser who understands the value of money. Uh, and yes, I know this has been a problem for a long time, but I'm just sort of looking at it through new eyes and going, I can't even let my kid play the only Hot Wheels. Game. Like, there's no other Hot Wheels games. There's no, like, well, there's the microtransaction Hot Wheels games, or you could do the, you know, just pay up front Hot Wheels games, which I would happily do. There aren't any. They're you just should do Apple Arcade. Like you should do Apple Arcade for him and just let him only do that stuff. Those are the yeah, only games, but but yeah. he wants to play. You know, he loves Hot Wheels, and he right. likes Thomas the Train, and he and he likes the you know the the um, PJ Masks and like all the branded stuff well, that he wants to play. I mean, I have bad like news that. for you, Jeff. It's the same for adults. Well, but we, I don't Here's know. This I think cool branded content adding to this thing, and you got to buy it and do that. You want to remain competitive. Here you are, and it's preying on addictive personalities. It's right, and but it's still I, grooming, I, and you still have the responsibility as an adult to understand the value of money. And, you know, theoretically you have your own money and you know what it took to get that money. And yes, people make bad decisions and people have addictive personalities. Yes, yes, yes. But I I don't know. I, it really changed my perspective looking at it through my son. Who's just like, Hey, I just want the cool track that they showed me. Why can't I just push? All I got to do is push right here. You know, that's a newer version of, I think the age old problem of, like going to Target with like your kid. Like, I want that. We can't get that. I mean, that's the same thing, right? It's screaming for things to buy. But yes, the way. No, it would be like if Target welcomed in crowds of children and showed them a good time. And then when they were done, walked them down the aisle of all the and said, hey, you know, all the fun we were having. You could have so much more fun by walking down this aisle and buying these things. It's not the same. And here's you know? your two friends that are already in this aisle. And when you want yes. to be in that aisle. Yeah. It's, and so let me get to the second part of this this problem that I think is has been, I should say, more prevalent in console games. And I should also say that console games have been disgusting with uh, predatory microtransactions uh, alone as well. Um, Battlefront had its own problems. FIFA has its problems where I think it's now illegal in somewhere in Europe. They finally like did that, which is like AI proof. Um, but the other problem that I have with this stuff is that – and 
I don't want to say it. I think I have a few games that's a specific example, but I don't want to say them because I'm only like 90% sure they're them and I don't want to say the wrong game. But games that come out in the review period and they haven't monetized their microtransactions yet. Mm. Oh, and yeah. it's so like, and like most good reviewers will comment like, I'm playing, you know, uh, Christian Sweeps 2020 and it's fun. It looks like there's place for microtransactions yet, but Christian hasn't turned those on yet, but beware. But we had a lot of fun with the game. And then sure enough, the game's out for a week and Christian Sweeps 2020, all of a sudden you want that new broom. It's $20 in a broom pack. And I, is it, I isn't Christian sweeps just the Inquisition? <laughs> no, it's it's sweeping. I'm doing sweeping. Oh, 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 oh my yeah. bad. Me <laughs> doing sweeping. It is not. Never forget the. Um, yes, it's a different Christian. I apologize. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I got confused. <laughs> um, and and that fr- that that is that is I think gross. Like. It, it, it's hiding the ball. You're going to turn this thing on. It's like, oh, we didn't have those ready. We're still figuring out those. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you weren't. Yeah. You wanted to avoid that bad press about everything about your game, talking about how man- manipulative and predatory it is. And so $70 for a game, yes. I'm, I, $70 for Ghost, $70 for, um, you know, I don't know what Halo Infinite is, but like for Halo 5, right? Like that game, uh, $70 for Super Mario Galaxy 3. You know, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Is is it ideal? I I don't. I would love to spend less money on quality things, but right. that I'm okay with. It's this the encroachment of this other, in my opinion, disgusting pricing model that I'm weary of. Yeah, yeah, and, and just to put a just to put a, a cap on this, the thought that I that I kept going through my head was, hey, when I was a kid, I got to play as much video games as I want, and I. I kept feeling like I'm a hypocrite if I, you know, regulate my kids' video game intake. And also, I love the fact that I played lots of video games. It made me into a, a, a the kind of person that I like. I was, you know, I, I think they actually made me smarter in a lot of ways. I thought about things in different ways. And then I had the thought of, oh, wait, no. Video games aren't like they were when I was a kid. Mm. They are doing a different thing to my son. They're not asking him to play a game. They're asking him to buy more things. My yes. When I went to the arcade and they wanted me to put in another 25 cents into the arcade, that was manipulative and trying to get me to, to do more. And I kept begging my mom for another four quarter, you know, another dollar to put in the change machine. Yes, yes, yes. It's a far cry from, Hey, look at this flashy, cool thing you could have for just six ninety nine more, just six ninety nine more, which is what I kept seeing on the Hot Wheels game. I think it's a big difference, and it really changes, in my opinion, the relationship with video games that that kids like my son are going to have, and it scares me. I don't want him to have that kind of relationship with the medium that I love. I, I think, and I agree with you. I think my kind of takeaway from it is kind of video games are much broader now than they were before. Cause that is super, everything you described is super true. Um, but, and my kids don't play those games. I don't even really know they exist, but Minecraft is great. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's on iPad and it, they can play with a friend on a P it's like, it's great. And so there are those other things out there, but yes, like the snake oil is, is ready to be sold and it, it is troublesome that it is in oftentimes these uh, and for kids in particular, like these branded content style. It's, it's bad. I mean, yeah, it's real bad. All right. Well, let's talk about the games that we're excited about and we love. 
and get to that segment that we call the playlist. the next generation it is here although i know some of you listening are are just frustrated that you can't get those consoles because they're in short supply still and sounds like they're going to be in short supply for many months um but for those of us that are in the next generation the the current generation uh lots of things to talk about so maybe you can experience it vicariously through us hopefully bring you some joy Alex, I know you got your hands on a PlayStation 5. Uh, what did. do you think of it? I think it's it's fantastic. It's very weird. I've I've had SSDs in my life for some good part of the last 10 years, but it feels like they're new again now that it's finally in the console that I play the majority of my video games on. Yeah. And and so those load times being instantly evaporated, I think is just an experience that uh, you know, being able to sw- swing through the the city in Spider Man, warp speed in that demo that they showed, and then having all of the the little interstitials when you're on the subway if you fast travel gone, I think is it's 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 crazy. Um, I think we're at the just the very beginning of that too. Yeah. I mean, it, I know that these games have very short load times, but I really think that as developers optimize for these systems and learn the tricks of the trick, you know, there was mm-hmm. there games over this generation. You saw l- the load time shorten and tricks for creating seamless experiences, it, get more sophisticated. I think you're going to find, we are all going to find that the, by the middle point of this generation, it really does feel like there's no such thing as load times. And that is super exciting. For sure. And and I, I'm kind of curious. I'm a little bit, um, you know, there's been a lot of information out there about like these consoles can do 8K and 120 hertz and and all of these like very lofty goals of, I guess, maybe not both of those at the same time. Right. But, <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, looking at something like Demon Souls and Miles Morales that both have these kind of two different modes you can play in, like the fidelity mode versus the performance mode, which performance has the high frame rate. Fidelity's got all the ray tracing and the new bells and whistles that are graphical additions. I'm curious how much of that is these games being tied to a previous generation in the sense of Miles Morales. I don't know about Demon's Souls. Um, But, you know, are we going to be hitting 60 frames per second 4K on a lot of these games that come in the future or not? I'm a little bit skeptical of that looking at things like even the uh, 3080 that I'm lucky to have in my, my the graphics card that I'm lucky to have in my computer right now. Can I, are they going to be able to, you know, are we going to see another half-step console this generation? Is there going to be a PS5 mm. Pro and that type of thing? But you know, for I now, think there will be. I think I think yeah. that's the business model now. I think those half steps. And the PS4, or excuse me, the PS5 Pro or whatever they'll call it, probably will be a much smaller console. You yeah. know, and <laughs> yeah. um, maybe maybe we'll have a performance boost, a nominal performance boost as well. But I'm sure it will be at least, if nothing else, a smaller, less ostentatious form factor. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Pro will go bigger, and there's just going to be a PS5 <laughs> Slim. You know? Yes, that's what. Maybe that's that's their their end game. Is it's just you you want you want more? We'll give you more. <laughs> yeah, the PlayStation yeah. Six. You can actually enter inside of it and play it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
PlayStation right. 4, yeah, you wanted a PlayStation 5 Pro needs a forklift to deliver it to you. <laughs> you wanted your holodeck? Here it is. It's so big. <laughs> um, so anyway, so you're digging the, you're digging the console. What, what are you playing on it? So I finished uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales last night, and uh, I very much enjoyed the PS4 Spider-Man game that came out. Um, and this one... Uh, continues the same high notes and i think even exceeds it in some ways for me personally i think the story in spider-man ps4 is a very familiar spider-man story but they pulled it off with such amazing detail and and having such great heart to it and giving you those characters uh in a very genuine you feel for peter's experience with dr octavius in that game um, but in Miles Morales, I, I'm not a huge comic book fan. I don't read a lot of comic books. I see Marvel movies, uh, you know, and, and that type of thing, but I don't know that much about Miles Morales' story. And so to get a little bit more of kind of the origin story, uh, in this game with Miles and to learn more about the people that are around him, it all felt very fresh to me in that sense. Um, and on top of that, I think the, the venom abilities that give, you know, the electrical shocks that Miles can produce in some of his hits, as well as his invisibility kind of added really new and interesting ways to attack the combat and the game and, you know, the stealth aspects of the game as well. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I think it's, it's a great, uh, kind of midpoint for what they're going to do on their way to Spider-Man 2. Or, you know, I know you mentioned Spider-Gwen last week. I think that would be really cool as well. Would be cool. Um, yeah. Very excited to see where Insomniac continues to take that franchise. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see how, how it progresses from here, right? Because now we mm-hmm. sort of have this extended spider universe where Peter and Miles both exist in this world. And, yeah. And, you know, ultimately they were, pretty conservative with regard to new villains introduced in this this game Mm -hmm. um they didn't use up quote unquote any of the big i mean i guess there was a couple of mainline spider you know um uh uh, the tinkerer is is a mainline spider villain um but it feels like there's places to go i mean they've already done the sinister six which is Mm -hmm. the top top all of them in one game but uh it would be interesting to see where they go with regard to like, you know, in the next game, will you be able to choose whether you're playing Peter or Miles? Are they going to be both in that game? Is it going to be back to being Peter's game with Miles being a side character? Is, you know, is it going to be still in New York? Like, well, there's a lot of question marks about where they take this series now, because uh, as much as this game felt fresh and as much as I actually kind of dug the fact that we're still in New York and we're still going around the same uh, areas uh, in, in a sense, although they look, and feel differently it would be cool to see spider-man playing in a different playground and and yeah. do, doing those things in a different place so um lots of opportunity for where this franchise goes um i'd love to do a spoiler discussion maybe at the end of this episode we can all talk if we've all finished it um about sure. the story in depth but uh christian i know you've been playing a lot of miles morales lately as well yeah i also wrapped the the campaign recently it, it's a phenomenal game. It's it's a wonderful experience that I think highlights the incredible work that Insomniac did in the first Spider-Man game in terms of nailing that that flow. And when we talked to Brian about it at, at E3 all those years ago and on the show as well, um, 
you know, the, the team put in a lot of work to nail the feel of Spider-Man. And I think they, they nailed the feeling of combat <clears throat> and how to create a space that is, is fun and exhilarating both inside, indoors and outdoors. And I think it's a testament to Miles Morales how they, you know, were able to carry a lot of that over but still make it feel fresh. As Alex mentioned, like incorporating Miles' Venom abilities, also the, the differences in animation for this younger uh, a little less sure of themselves spider-man versus in the ps4 game spider-man i think had been peter had been spider-man for eight years something like that much more comfortable in his suit and in his shoes um, and no and longer a high schooler yeah. yeah yeah and 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 i think they and for people that i think are you know maybe fans of the comics and stuff like that as i was i, I have the whole campaign barring like the last two minutes of the last cutscene because i had to go help with children as i was streaming the last time on my twitch which is just twitch.tv slash christian spicer if you want to see these thoughts in real time but the way they talked about or or talked around those high school complexities of what miles has to go through like yeah i'll be there mom no you won't miles no you won't you're not you can't do it all buddy this is welcome welcome to new york you know like Welcome to being Spider-Man. And I think they captured that dichotomy really well with this character and putting him through those high school ringer type things. And I'll you know, save details for the spoiler part, <clears throat> excuse me, but like the complexities of relationships of being a high schooler and, and the things that an average high schooler would go through combined with this responsibility and these powers and how you're going to juggle that in family life and trauma and tragedy. And it's stuff that I think is reflected really, really well in the game. And it's not an 80 hour game. You know, you're in with these characters and I think they do a really good job letting you experience them and live with them and breathe with them um, without weighing it down. I'm really impressed with how much story and personality and character they were able to convey in a, a smaller game and i think i think they really knocked it out of the park the characters feel full and fleshed out you can spend more time with them on side missions if you want and if you don't know them from the comics i think there's enough of the characters there that you're able to know like who they are what they represent what they mean to miles and you're not kind of left scratching your head like why am i spending time with this person why is this a decision that's important to the character and then the gameplay is just so fun like i think to me that is something that pulls me back into a, a game and helps make an open world game, a game that I'll talk about at the end of the year versus Watch Dogs Legion, which I just have a hard time coming back to. Like I enjoyed every minute in Spider-Man and I want to do every side mission because I enjoy every moment to moment interaction. Watch, Dog, Watch Dogs Legions, I personally enjoy like 40% of it or 30%, but I go into missions going, I hope it's not going to be one of these. Mm. And to me, Spider-Man and Ghost of Tsushima nailed that I want to be doing the thing the game asks me to do over and over and over again. And, and Spider-Man Miles Morales is – it's a treat. And, and I'm curious, Jeff, if you could talk about <clears> – because <throat> last week you didn't talk about the actual – now that we got you on the PS5 version of the game. I'm curious if you could talk about kind of your experience with the the graphics or load times between the two because I have only seen – the PS4 version, you know, uh, like videos on the internet comparing the two. Yeah. I was blown away by the PS5, but I'm curious uh, your eyes-on impressions between the two. Well, um, it's difficult because the game looks fantastic and the ray tracing makes a big difference and the load times are much shorter. But the PS4 version looks fantastic and the load times are pretty short and the ray tracing 
is faked. You know, like there's reflections in the buildings. They just aren't actual reflections, right? They just like in that first Spider-Man game, when you're flying through New York, swinging through New York, you go by buildings that seem to reflect the world around them because they're doing tricks that make it look cool, look good. In the PlayStation 5 version, if you're on that fidelity mode, you're seeing actual reflection. You're seeing, you know, it's cool to see Spider-Man reflected in the mirror, in the window. It's cool that you're in a cutscene and Spider-Man, uh, you know, Miles Morales leans over with the mask on to a computer and types something in and you see the screen of the computer yeah. reflected in his eye, <laughs> you know, reflective eye things on his mask. It's cool. That's cool. But is it, yeah, no, mean that the PlayStation 4 version is garbage? No. Uh, the PlayStation 4 version is very, very good and looks great. And the frame rate is rock solid. And the load times are shockingly short. Yes, do you actually see Miles standing in a uh, in a subway car when it fast travels? Yes. On the PlayStation 5, do you? No. Is that cool? Absolutely, it's cool to just fade to black and then fade back up. But, you know, the game is... Ultimately, for me, I feel like I was so shocked at how good the PlayStation 4 version was, it kind of lost a bit of luster on PlayStation 5 for me because it wasn't a dramatic leap forward. But it's a cross-gen game, right? That's that's the thing. We're, we're going to get to the dramatic leap forward, and I, you know we're going to talk about Demon Souls in a second. And that was to me the dramatic leap forward. It's not a fault of the system; it's a fault of the fact that these games were not being developed on final hardware, right? They were being developed on PlayStation Four, and then got sliders and extra bells and whistles that made them cool on PlayStation Five. So. Again, anybody that can't get their hands on PlayStation 5 is going to have a fantastic time with Miles Morales on PlayStation 4. It is really, really good on that system. And I just don't think... I I personally wasn't bowled over by the difference. Um, Can I it ask... Is, it is there. It is noticeable, but it is not night and day to me. Go ahead. Jeff, did you did you pop into the performance mode for just a minute on PS5? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. I started out the game playing in the 4K 30 with ray tracing in the fidelity mode, and I thought it looked amazing. But the minute that I switched over to the performance mode and started swinging through the city at 60 frames per second, I was like, whoa, I cannot go back. And and it was, yeah. I wasn't expecting that because I usually do enjoy kind of the, the, it's, I kind of pick and choose on certain games, like we'll say in a second with, with which mode I usually go with. But, the fluidity with which miles can move and fight and swing at 60 frames per second felt amazing to me. And I don't know what the PS4 frame rate is at. I, I would assume it's probably 30. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that's what it would be. Yeah. But that, that did feel like a pretty big difference to me too, but you're absolutely right. I think it looks great. It even looks great on the videos that I've seen on PS4. And I think it is a good holdover for anybody who's, you know, patiently waiting trying to patiently wait for their ps5 i think picking up miles morales on ps4 is totally you're getting the full experience you know yeah totally and i i agree with you i think that the the higher frame rate is going to be interesting what people like going forward i think people have different preferences Mm -hmm. um i I like those extra shadows i like those extra reflections i kind of get off get you know the 
the tinglys from from seeing that stuff more than the frame rates right now but you get different games will be different things and yeah it'll be interesting to see if developers continue to allow that to be in the player's hands or if they will take that out of the player's hands and allow you know and decide which way they want their game to be experienced yeah. um you know it'll be interesting all right uh you're also playing demon souls as i was mentioning uh which to me is is the real next gen showpiece on playstation 5 for sure yeah i i agree it looks incredible that that is one where i also play on performance mode because i feel like a smooth for, frame rate in a souls game is pretty important yeah. to the to playing the game um, yeah, and it defaults to performance mode on on Demon Souls, which I found interesting. Yeah, but um, I have a very strange relationship with Souls games. I didn't play any of them until Bloodborne came out. I played Bloodborne, beat the first boss, felt incredibly, incredibly accomplished, and then I never touched it again. And so for Demon Souls, I've kind of done the same thing thus far, and I beat the first boss, and I kind of set it down to finish Miles Morales. Um, but I'm hoping that I come back to it and play more before Cyberpunk comes out. But I did mostly just want to say I I never thought I would like a Souls game as people were talking about them as they came out, uh, and with Bloodborne being on the PlayStation Collection for people who have PlayStation Plus and a PS5 right now, it's a good time to try it out. And I think trying these games, despite all of the good that people throw around on the internet and the fear of dying and losing your soul's progress, uh, I think you could be closing yourself off from something that you enjoy. And and you could even be like me, where you'll get $70 of satisfaction out of killing one boss. Um, So (laughs) I think anybody who hasn't tried those games, certainly worth trying, maybe not at the $70 price point. But Bloodborne's out there yeah. for free. Try that for sure. Demon Souls, fantastic. Looking at the, the the screenshots of the PlayStation 3 game compared to this, it feels like a, an incredible recreation. Bluepoint did a great job doing that, and, and I think they filled in a lot of dots. And I know there's some people out there that are a little salty about the art direction of some of the, the enemies. But um, it looks great. It's very challenging plays fantastic and and i'm excited to get to more of it now that i'm finished with miles morales yeah if you have a an hdr tv man it is mm-hmm. absolutely stunning for sure uh such a gorgeous 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 game and it makes me excited for what we're going to see in the next wave of games that come out for these next gen consoles because i think it's we're just scratching the surface of what these things can can do visually yeah. um yeah um but also you know uh, tell me about disc room <laughs> disc room is an indie title uh published by devolver digital oh. um i checked it out in a more innocent time of this year at pax in in february if you can believe that uh but um yeah what what year was that <laughs> it is 2020 um mm, it's impossible but it's a collaboration of four people, so, uh, some people from Vlambeer and have worked on other Sony titles and other Devolver titles. But basically, it's a top-down game. You are in a room with a bunch of saw blades or discs that are um, potentially going to kill you. And you're given different objectives to open different doors in that room to progress through this kind of uh, set, uh, a map of several different disc rooms, basically. And so there's things like uh, survive for a certain amount of time or um, die by all the different kinds of discs that you see. It's kind of like collecting Pokemon, basically. <laughs> um, 
it's it's a very there's some great challenges there there's some awesome accessibility options where you can slow down the 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 time that you're actually playing the game you can put it at like 20 percent time if you need some help getting through a certain challenge to progress through the game um but it's it's out there on switch and pc right now it's 15 dollars, and and i think you should give it a try it feels you know there's there's part of me that feels like there's times in 2020 where you want to hurl yourself at a saw blade and yeah. this game allows you Daily. to do that yeah exactly <laughs> so check out disc room. disc room yeah that sounds cool uh intense but very cool uh, let's uh, take a take a real quick break now and thank our second sponsor. Talking about wanting to hurl yourself into a saw blade, a, a better way to deal with the stress of 2020 or any st- life just life stress is our new sponsor, Headspace. Headspace is an app on your phone that gives you your daily dose of mindfulness, guided meditations, just breathing, just it's it's lovely i actually have been using headspace for many months back in i think march or april of this year headspace had a promotion uh, around you know us just starting this covid journey uh, because people thought oh we're gonna have to deal with a couple of weeks of (laughs) a couple of weeks of of not leaving the house we thought naively back in march and headspace did a promotion where they were giving away their app for free and i was like you know i wanted to try a mindfulness app. I wanted to try meditation and it's always one of those things that I put off and put off and put off. And I went, you know what? I'm actually going to do this because I know they're offering it right now. And I downloaded Headspace and it has been such a lovely thing this, this year, man, it has just been brutal and it's nice to just get a moment of meditation, of quietude, of, of, taking a break and you don't think of maybe an app on your phone as being the way in for that, but it's amazing. Headspace can help you fall asleep. It has wind down sessions. Uh, and for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. It's pretty great. It's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research, which I, I appreciate about it. And, we know that meditation and mindfulness can reduce stress, improve your sleep, boost your focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I can attest, I have enjoyed just using this app as a way, I have my phone with me all the time. It's just a nice way to take a moment and be guided through a bit of relaxation and mindfulness. I recommend it. It is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600 thousand five-star reviews wow and over 60 million downloads that's amazing you deserve to feel happier and headspace is meditation made simple go to headspace.com slash dlc that's headspace h-e-a-d-s-p-a-c-e dot com slash dlc for a free one month trial with access to headspace's full library of meditations for every situation so try it for a month is the best deal offered right now head over to headspace.com slash dlc today all right um let's talk about a uh, call of duty christian i know you've been playing um you finished the campaign for call of duty cold war i've been playing a fair amount of it as well uh what did you think of cod 
So I, I mentioned it a little last week briefly. So we both got codes for this and playing on, on PC. Um, the campaign starts with a just a punch, man. I mean, it, it is it gets going. It comes out with a bang. And I think the campaign is is really, really well done. I'm glad that they do them. You know, there was that time where there wasn't one. I forget. I'm bad with remembering the names. I think I've probably played every single Call of Duty campaign, though, like including the PSP uh, Call of Duties. Um, And it looked like for a while, maybe there weren't going to be campaigns. And they've come back. And I think Black Ops Cold War is, is a really, really well put together campaign. And we hinted at this or touched on this a little bit last week that sometimes these studios don't get enough credit or recognition for what they're able to put out constantly. Um, and it is action packed thrill ride roller coaster thing that I think people know and love these call of duty campaigns to be my nits with the campaign. Um, uh, in the chat, just asked if I ever got my refund for call of duty ghosts. I had forgotten. Oh, about that. Good callback. <laughs> no, I did not. I should ask them where that check. You're is. still waiting. No, it's not that you have You definitely, you didn't get it. It's that you're still, you're still patiently waiting. I have moved. So maybe it didn't, it came after oh, the, that's the probably what forwarding. happened is it just, yeah. you know, it just took like five years and then you changed addresses right when they sent it. Oh, I had forgot about that. That's so Bad funny. Luck. Um, this game, it's, it's really, really well done. Um, great performances, great set pieces. I, the thing that really bums me out about it, there are two things that bum me out about it. The biggest is the real life or the air quote, like, I don't think you need Gorbachev and Reagan in this game. I think it makes it uncomfortable at best. Um, and I think you could have told a Cold War story or an analogous story to this without trying to be, you know, law and order news ripped from the headlines. As is, it feels weird of like, this isn't how this really happened. And the game's like, or is it? But it's like, no, no this is like brainwashing. And this feels weird. Why do you have these? Like, I, I just wish it was like in the 1980s, a secret operation existed uh, as two countries were at war. Like, just, you know, like make it the fantasy. I, I personally would be more more comfortable with that approach. And so every time like real life facts and figures and, and digital representations of these people came in, it, it, it felt like stunt casting, but the wrong kind, like make it a celebrity. I'd be like, Oh, look at that. Kevin Bacon. Cool. Well, it's all so goofy, man. The the whole thing is so, yes, it's like a throwback to an era of video games like Duke Nukem or the original doom or, Wolfenstein it, it, it wouldn't video games just didn't even care about it was it was just about a wacky protagonist who you know this this has all the trappings of a huge budget incredibly well-produced extravaganza but the the whole thing is just like every mission we go on is illegal you know, like there's a thing at the beginning where like they're all in sunglasses in the room and Reagan walks in and they're like, you know, this mission's illegal. Every mission we go on is illegal. It's like, OK, you know, it, it's just it's just goofy. And which and, I'd be fine with if they just went full. Like my favorite one, I'm bad with the names of these, is the future one because it it was just not tied to real things. And it was just this bravado thing right but like the yeah. fact that, that reagan sitting in this it's like that stuff ties it back and it makes it feel 
it makes it feel weird. I agree. My other nit, and then I'll, I'll pitch, Jeff. My other nit is that this game does what a lot of them have done, I think since four, um, and you change roles. You change playable characters during the campaign. Um, and I found that it doesn't help. Like in four, it was interesting. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm seeing this from another perspective. And other games that came out this year did that. And I think do it very well. <laughs> um, but the way Call of this game does it, it's like, well, now I'm this person. But why am I this per- Like, it's, there's nothing interesting. It doesn't shed light on my character. It doesn't. So I found like the story became less meaningful because of that. Instead of like, I think the story of the character who my character's name was nicknamed Bell um, was is interesting and fun and, and could be pulpy and dramatic and, you know, atomic blonde esque or something like that. Like there's fun to be had here, but now it's like, now you're going to play as this guy. Who's that guy? That's Trent. Why am I playing as Trent? What am I? Well, this mission Trent's on this mission. Well, okay. Good job, Trent. Why am I Trent? <laughs> but I like Bell. I like, I liked Bell. I like that story. So I named Bobo. my bell Bobo, by the way. So I was Bobo Bell. Just so you know. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> they let you name your bell. They, they you get you to your name bell. your bell and give it a, I think, a birth date and like things about it that you can decide on personality traits. And then it'll be Bobo Bell. My, mine was nicknamed. Like my character's name, I named it something like Belly, I think, is a, a game I use. Belly Bell? And they, well, Bell, did they call yours Bell? No. Yeah, all the, it's all Bell. It's, you get to name the first name. Really? <laughs> yeah that's amazing i thought i had no idea i thought they just shortened belly <laughs> <laughs> i just i just burst your bubble you thought this game was like working on a whole other level picking no, jeff plucking you just a rang, name from you you just rang my bell that's incredible because <laughs> i thought it was so well voice acted i was like how many names do they have <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. It's like Belly Ranger because is a name Fallout, I use right? a lot. They had like, in Fallout, they had, you know, like 30 different names you could be, and they did voice for all of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. So Belly, Belly Ranger is a name I use a lot, and it's like old kick <laughs> nicknames. And it just something free. And, like, and it was like Belly, quote, Bell Ranger. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and here's all this pop talent voice actors convincingly oh, saying my name. That is brilliant. It's That's like when you amazing. were playing that, that game when they said Jeff or whatever, and you were like, oh, uh, no. yeah. Half-Life, Half-Life Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Ha- That's right. That's That happened this year to me in Half-Life Alex. <laughs> yeah. Not was- since my friend Shepard Murray played Mass Effect series did this. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a friend named <laughs> Shepard. Yeah, Murray. I was blown away by it. That's so, I had no idea that it was, that everybody was Bell. Um, <laughs> That's great, man. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that happened here live on the show, rather than me just saying it to you offline. Yes, that, that was likewise. great. But so I, I really enjoyed the campaign. I found myself wanting to go back to it. It pulled me away from Destiny for you know the three days that I was playing it. Like the left trigger, right trigger is done. The ray tracing. I want every floor in my house now to be polished concrete, <laughs> just to see shiny. Um, but those were the nits. Like I wish it wasn't trying to be real. Yeah. And I, I, I um, wish I was just my character instead of being Trent, whoever it is. But it did some really interesting things that I don't. I don't think I've played Call of Duties as as uh, consistently as you have in the last, at least in the last few iterations. So maybe this had entered the series before now, but I'd never experienced this. Like, there's optional side missions, and some of them have puzzles that you have to actually solve, uh, which was I thought was really kind of cool, like a neat. And there's payoff. Way to, it, like, yeah. I don't want to, like, 
depending on what yeah. you do and how you do, there's there's payoff for them. It's fine. Yeah, there's uh, you you have to like find things in the level that, and then if you start one of the side missions, it's like, well, which person are we attacking? And you go, well, I I don't know. It's like, well, did you try all the other missions and find the information and decide? And it's like, oh no, I haven't. I guess I won't do this mission yet because I don't know. I thought that was kind of rad. Like that's a layer of sophistication that these games haven't had, which are basically, I just shoot everything. And then I go to the next level and, and I it shoot still everything. Is what it is, and they have yeah, right. played with side but missions between before. those shooting everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I say yeah. there's repercussions, it's just like your end credits will be like, and Trent died, and I'd be like, yeah, Trent died. Who is Trent? But like, but it still is cool to see that, and I like the <laughs> like, game. They got this variety. bell name, but where did they come up with Trent? <laughs> <Trent's> <laughs> That's why up. you're so mad about Trent. There's it's no Trent. Just you thought that they pulled Bill from your actual. Oh, it's so good. It's really I don't good. care about Trent. I made this Bell character. Trent's oh, it's so funny. But I didn't care it's about any funny. of the other characters. I wanted to be my. I wanted because that story is interesting. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. I. This series just is no longer for me. There was a time when I loved Call of Duty games, and as gorgeous as this game is, especially playing an ultra wide on my PC with ray tracing on, this game is technically a marvel. But man, it, it just coming off of finishing the Miles Morales campaign and even playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla right now, these the stories that these games are, are trying to tell are sophisticated and interesting. And yes, Assassin's Creed Valhalla has entire missions where, you know, someone farts and that's, the, you know, there's, there's a whole thing, there's a whole mission about farting in Assassin's Creed Valhalla early on. Yes, it's not Shakespeare, although Shakespeare loved farting. But uh, you know, it's it's not it's not always you know grand and 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 well written and you know perfect drama or anything like that. But it has loftier ambitions, it seems to me, than what Call of Duty is doing. And I get that it's just this roller coaster ride. But man, it just it feels like it's lost me at this point. I, I'm just so not down for it. Just all feels so boring it, it well, really does it's, it's not the bulk of the game right the bulk of the game this year is zombies and the the yeah. battle royale is still thriving yeah. and vibrant um the campaign is it's just a roller coaster it's strap in let's go and it, it that's not going to click for everybody but yeah it's not open world you're not crafting this experience but i thought that opening mission where you're you know take out a few people chase a plane drop an rc car down big explode it's it's yeah it's cool with like it's cool licensed music blaring at the right times it's i think it's pretty cool yeah it's yeah it's fine i i don't know i it's cool and then you go to vietnam for some reason and then i don't know it's like it's fine uh it's just not for me anymore i just don't think it's for me and i as much as i appreciate how well it looks i just don't don't really it's not for me anyway we can talk about things that are more for me, but I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you got something fun out of it and you finished the, the campaign and it was, you know, you and bell doing good things. <laughs> Man, my world uh, is rocked. Uh, I, I do want to talk about a, a couple of games quickly. Um, pathless is a game that I've been playing on PlayStation five. I was sent to code and boy, is it, I think a diamond in the rough. Uh, many people are going to overlook it. I, I suspect, but you shouldn't pathless is excellent. And I, was told, Christian mentioned that Pathless was an Apple Arcade game, mm-hmm. which I wasn't even a really aware of, but it makes sense that it is um, it, it would work on a touchscreen because basically the idea of the game is that you are in this fantasy world, this big open fantasy world, and you're a kind of a, a fast-moving archer, 
and you shoot arrows at these insignias that are floating all around the world. And every time you you hit one, <clears throat> excuse me, every time you hit one, there is a you get a boost of speed. So it's all about chaining together these uh, these these arrow shots at at targets. And so I imagine on a touch screen, you're literally touching the targets. I would I would think. Uh, which makes sense. It's a cool, almost like a rhythm game of traversal where your your movement through the world is based on your rhythm. And even on a PlayStation 5 controller, it's about rhythm. It's about button presses and aiming. And boy, it feels great just to move through this world. It, it, getting that sense of speed and you're jumping and flying. And then very soon in the game, you get this bird, this hawk uh, that can let you fly or, or glide it carries you um at, over gaps and stuff and so you can chain together all these wonderful movements and the game is really about exploration it's about um finding uh different different little pieces that you plug into monoliths that unlock new areas and so you're running around trying to find these pieces and little there's little mini puzzles that you have to figure out in order to flip the right switch to unlock the thing to get you access to the puzzle piece that you put into this thing. Very much, very much my jam. Uh, it is, it is, you know, got hints of Zelda, hints of, uh, of, you know, almost elite beat agents in its, its rhythminess. It's got hints of journey. Uh, it's great. It's really, really cool. This is the, the same developer that did Abzu, which was a really cool kind of Zen underwater game. And it's got that same, same sense of sort of um, natural beauty in the world. It's very, the music is great. The, just the sense of being in this vast, beautiful land with grand waterfalls and, uh, and you're moving briskly through it. It's, it's really great. It's a lovely wind down game. And I hope that people who have PlayStation fives don't overlook it. Um, it's also on PlayStation 4, on Windows, on Mac, and on iOS. So um, give it a shot. Pathless. I really uh, was impressed with it. I checked it out very briefly on the Apple TV 4K, which it mm. was a little bit framey on. But I did want to say you can uh, Bluetooth a PlayStation 4 controller to the Apple TV, or I think also the phone or iPad if you don't want to do the touchscreen stuff. Um, so uh, it, it looked really cool. I'm excited to play some more of it soon. Yeah, it's... I really like it. I've been playing it off and on uh, just as sort of like my wind down game because it's, it's just, it's Zen. It's lovely. It's you just going through this beautiful, beautiful landscape and figuring out puzzles and moving fast. There's something wonderful about just moving fast and having to do this rhythmic shooting of arrows in order to keep, you know, chain together your, your speed boosts. It's, it's really cool. It's almost like, um, gosh, what was that game that came out last year? Oh, what's it called? Because an S and it, uh, you were like this crazy on a, on a motorcycle and you're fl- flying off. Sayonara of it and you're Wild Hearts. Sayonara Wild Hearts. It almost felt like that a little bit. I mean, not as, not as over the top as that, but just that sense of that movement. And yeah, yeah it's, it's great. All right. Um, I know I'm going to talk about Assassin's Creed Valhalla a lot over the next several weeks because I, I don't know what it is about the Assassin's Creed franchise right now but I love it. I love it. It is so my jam. And I'm sitting playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla going, what is it that I like so much about this, but I didn't like Ghost of Tsushima? I keep going back to Ghost of Tsushima. Now it's on PlayStation 5. 
And it looks way, way better, in my opinion, than it did on PlayStation 4. The frame rate is better. The lighting is better. Everything looks great. I don't have any of the jaggings anymore. Like, the world is beautiful. And I go, okay, I can ping back and forth forth because I have Assassin's Creed Valhalla on my Xbox uh, Series X, which is on a different input than my PlayStation 5. And I can literally just change inputs and go back and forth between the two games and go, what is it about Assassin's Creed that seems to click with me that didn't click with me in Ghost of Tsushima? And I don't really have a solid, satisfying answer. It is... I I don't know what it is. I, I think that the way the game offers up its world in Assassin's Creed, or at least the last few Assassin's Creed's, just is more accessible to me. The way I can hop up into eagle uh, the bird you know a raven in this game and check things out and i'm not relying on just a ground level view and the way the the way the open world always 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 rewards me for the things that i'm investing time in every single little thing that i invest time in in assassin's creed valhalla is rewarded in some way and that just feels good there's no even God, there's so much to talk about with regard to this game. There's a, a in-the-game dice game that you can play in the same way that Gwent is in The Witcher 3. There's a in-world dice game that you can play that I was so excited about. I'm like, okay, I dig dice games. Boy, is it bad, in my opinion. And I would love somebody to write in at dlcfeedback at gmail.com and tell me why I'm wrong. But I just think this is a very poorly designed tabletop game. This dice game inside Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It seems to me every game that I've played of this dice game, which I can't even remember what it's called in the game, but um, is determined by the coin flip. At the beginning, you coin flip to decide who goes first. And invariably, whoever goes first wins the the match. And I I, I don't think there's much strategy. I could talk in depth about that game and i won't because it's the least interesting part of this game but i'm just fascinated but like i don't think it's a very well designed uh, tabletop game um may i pitch and you know you said there's so much to talk about and so i'm going to be selfish here and alex apologies if this doesn't interest you but i've heard and i have not played this game um valhalla but i've heard that it w- did away with side missions like traditional quote-unquote side missions and i'm curious if maybe that's true, or maybe I misread, or kind of what your take is on that, because you mentioned how it always rewards you in these games since Origin and kind of Odyssey now and now Valhalla. I'm curious what that approach is to it and kind of how it doles out its open world, because yeah. I very much know what Origins and Odyssey's doling out of the open world is, and I'm curious how Valhalla refines or, or tweaks that. I would never, I, I don't think it's true. Uh, I would never say that. It, 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 it now has things that it tracks in each area that you're in. And one of those things is mysteries. And you have these dots on your, your world map that your bird can see. And that are, you know, these kind of giant beams in the sky that show you where mysteries are. And I would say eight or nine times out of 10, the mystery is a side quest uh, or, a you know, and it's, I think the side quests in Assassin's Creed and the last few Assassin's Creed are really well written. They're so different and interesting. Yes, sometimes they're about farts. Or one time it was like, watch my husband and I get it on. And I was like, I don't really need that. Okay. But um, so some, you know, they're hit and miss. But I think for the most part, the side missions are really well written. Uh, Maybe they're not 
maybe what you read is they're not flagged in your mission log the same way they used to be, mm. but they're still very much side missions. They're just called mysteries now. And you'll, you'll go to a, like I went to the, the, this, you know, very early on in the starting Island of Norway, found a guy on the edge of a cliff and he was just throwing all of his belongings off the cliff. And he asked you to help him throw his belongings off the cliff. It's very much a side quest. You get experience for it. Uh, and at the end, he like, he throws himself off, um, you know, offering himself up to the gods. There's all kinds of little moments like that. And they're very much side quests they are just not in the same sense. But, mm. um, I mean the, the game, I'm shocked at how much has changed from Odyssey. The game is really a, a different beast in a lot of ways. I mean, very familiar uh, in a lot of the things that you're doing, but the tweaks, the little tweaks are really significant. Uh, and a lot of them I'm bummed about because I think Odyssey is a near perfect game. And a lot of them I'm intrigued by like, oh, this really changes up how I interact with the world and what I want to do. Like, for example, in Odyssey, almost exclusively the way I interacted with the world, because I'm this un- incredible, badass Cassandra character who's, you know, who gets more and more powerful as I go, is I walk into a place, I'm liquid death, like a silent s- assassin. And just eliminate every single human being at a place, liberate that place, and walk away and get all the wealth that they had in that place. And I just did that over and over and over. And it was always satisfying and super fun. And I was, you know, taking out huge swaths of people at a time. And maybe this will change as I play, as I put in, you know, if I put in the 100 hours that I put into Odyssey, this will evolve. But right now, the game, in very subtle ways, seems to be more incentivizing going in and getting something without murdering everyone it really i mean you have to murder some people but it's not it doesn't incentivize just wiping out the entire population of a place in order to liberate that place or change that place over and i mean you literally have you know a a count of the number of bad guys in a place in odyssey and once you eliminated all of them that place became a different kind of place it was liberated you know um, and they would put a little check mark on those, on the things that you would eliminated all the people in. And so now it doesn't really do that, or at least not yet for me. And instead it's asking you to get stuff like there's stuff here, stuff that you probably want, get it. We won't tell you how, if you want to murder everybody, you can, but that's going to be a lot more effort than you need in order to get the stuff. So really it's more about getting the stuff and i find it to be so much more interesting well not more interesting but interesting in a different way because i'm just approaching these challenges differently i'm i'm thinking about them and the game has way more puzzles or or puzzly type elements where how do i get a thing well a person has a key to that thing you can't just walk in and get it okay well now i have to find the key and how do i get to the person who has the key do i have to kill that person to get the key or do i just loot the key or or maybe there's like you can see on your map where it is. Okay, I'm standing on where it is. Well, it must be underneath you. Okay, well, how do I get underneath me? Well, you got to figure it out. And over and over and over. I mean, it's not just once or twice. It's it's the norm where that's the case. Where it's like, how are you going to get there? And sometimes it's fairly simple, and other times it's much more involved. But the game is asking me to think way more than Odyssey did. Odyssey was just like a blunt instrument taking down swaths of bad guys, which was very fun and satisfying, but I'm finding Valhalla to be 
a much more nuanced kind of experience and maybe throw back to kind of the assassin-ness of Assassin's Creed in a, in a more uh, interesting way. It's a, dude, I love these games. I really have fallen in love with the Assassin's Creed franchise. There's a, all kinds of new ties to the future or present day, however you want to talk about it, the um, animus timeline of Assassin's Creed. Like you're, you find these cool anomalies in the, in the virtual reality that you're in. There's lots of juicy, interesting stuff that just makes me super fall in love with the lore. I don't think that the story so far is as fun or as compelling as Odyssey was for me, but I'm just not as into the Norse uh, Viking stuff as I was into the Greek and Roman stuff. But there's it's playing with a lot of those timelines and the throwbacks and you're learning about those things even in this context. And the game is gorgeous and these huge vistas and the, the varied landscapes that just make you feel like this world is alive in so many interesting ways. And the way it it has difficulty spikes in, in different areas and you can try to take down something that's way beyond your difficulty level and you actually can accomplish it if you have the skill um, or you can just grind up your power level until it's easy. It's, it, it's so great. I, I really hate the new skill system. I mentioned that last week. I, I really don't think it was a wise choice. This big sprawling spreadsheet that is obscured until you put points in certain areas. It doesn't feel satisfying. It, I don't have a plan as to where I want to put my points. Every time I get new skill points, I'm bewildered as to where to stick them. It's never intuitive or interesting or fun. Uh, it, it's it's bad. But so many of the new systems are fun and building up your repertoire, your your settlement by creating new buildings. All of that is really satisfying and, and great and I think this game is excellent. I'm so into Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You had yeah, me I'll... at Fart Quest, so you know. <laughs> well done, well done. I'm uh, curious yeah. if it will be on uh, end of the year discussions for you know. It's another thing that isn't part of Game Award. I mean, it has yeah. other parts, but like, it's interesting that where this game yeah. is kind of falling, and and maybe as a cross gen game, how people are viewing it. Yeah, it does. You know, I, I'm. Looking forward to where Assassin's Creed goes when it is a full-on next-gen title. Like, I think this game, as pretty as the world is, still feels a little last-gen-y. You know, it, it, it really isn't Demon Souls or what I think is possible from these next-gen games. Um, so there's that. You know, the lighting is gorgeous, but it's not the way you see the lighting in Miles Morales. Um, so, yeah, but... It, it also surprises me that I expected it to be a Viking skin on Odyssey. And it is very much not that. It is. It really feels like a completely different... Well, not completely different. It is, a, it is a much more different than I expected it to be. There are a lot of tweaks. A lot of... I mean, the, the way they handle loot in the game is completely different. The way they handle upgrade path, completely different. Um combat feels very very different it, it is uh a lot more changes to the formula than i expected and for the most part uh, other than some big big exceptions for the most part i'm liking the the ex the changes and the the way the game is different 
it doesn't feel like it's an evolution in, in the sense that it is improved on that game. It's just found new ways to do things that are equally interesting. Anyway, you're going to hear me talk about Assassin's Creed Valhalla a lot more, at least until Cyberpunk comes out, <laughs> maybe yeah. even after that. Um, all right. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap the show up now. I think we're going to do a, a spoiler spider cast, uh, after the end of the show. So Alex, you're welcome to stick around for that or not. I know it's late where you are. Um, so we can, uh, we'll do that after the end of the show. So if you're listening to this and you have finished Miles Morales or you don't care about spoilers, you can listen to our spoiler cast after the show concludes, but this is where the main show will end. We do have parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. But Alex Morrell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I had a fantastic time. It's great talking to, to you guys about video games. Yeah, well, we had a great time having you. Tell folks where they can keep up with all the things you do online. For sure. If you're like me and you listen to multiple video game podcasts, please check out the Midwest Game Nerds podcast wherever you find your podcasts. But if DLC satiates all of your video game podcast needs, Please check out our other shows about TV shows, horror movies, and more on the MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. We just launched a new show on the network called Multimedium, uh, where my friends Willie and Tim discuss adaptations of properties as they take shape in different media. And the first episode's up now. It talks about the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics and their adaptations into cartoons and movies. So uh, please check those out. Awesome. Uh, very cool. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, staying home, not traveling. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and same. Twitter's the best way at, at Spicer. And I've been doing uh, weekdays, um, short video game, gaming quick hit, which is the hashtag I'm using on on Twitter. You can find them on my YouTube as well. Um, Christian Spicer 713. And I'm not saying you need to watch them, but I am saying that the head of Xbox replied to one you know what i mean so like maybe. he's watching them he, you know watching. he's making sure phil's phil's one of our non-listeners but watchers you know so i mean um, i like to think that phil if you're listening uh send us an email let us know or at least or you know what even better come on the show we'd love to have you we as, as i mentioned on twitter we'd love to have you that one was about uh this is the story we didn't talk about but uh uh force now is in beta on ios and I did a, a video, a gaming quick hit about when we'll see Project X Cloud on iOS. And Phil was like, pretty soon. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, thank you, sir. Um, I'm putting pants on and a tie. This feels, ooh, I'm very excited. And then Stadia announced that they're close to getting their iOS release at well, as well. But those are on Twitter, at Spicer. You can find the hashtag gaming quick hit or again on my YouTube. And I've wrapped Miles Morales now on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash christian spicer you can see my playthrough there of the campaign and i'm thinking about what the next game i'm going to dive in and stream but you can uh, follow me on on twitch there and then this show live most sundays 7 15 p.m pacific time and the only other thing i'm really doing this week is again wishing all of you a wonderful and happy thanksgiving and and letting you know how thankful i am that all of you have been here with us on this journey as we continue to take it it means a lot to me indeed same with me. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Also, if you want to email the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you do that. And if you're so inclined, I have other shows for you to check out. If you want to hear me talk about 
movies and TV shows, I do a show called The Slash Filmcast, which you can find at slashfilmcast.com. And I do a comedy science show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. It's called We Have Concerns. It's at wehaveconcerns.com. I also do a long-form Dungeons & Dragons show where I'm making up a story and taking a bunch of uh, really talented role players through it. And uh, even if you're not into Dungeons & Dragons, I urge you to check it out. It's really great. The the storytelling is uh, top-notch. It's almost like listening to an audiobook. And you can find it as an audio show by searching for The Dungeon Run anywhere you get audio podcasts. You can also watch it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Uh, we do an amazing visual element to the show. They have a We have a virtual map room, uh, which you really have to see. It's extraordinary. Uh, we did some really cool stuff this week with the virtual map room. Again, you find that by searching for The Dungeon Run. Uh, also, that show records live on Caffeine at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesday nights. You can find it at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. And finally... I'm also doing a sports show now about uh, the fan-controlled football league, which is basically Madden in real life. We stream that Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash FCF for fan-controlled football. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Alex, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? I do. Uh, my wife and I binged through a Netflix show called Dash and Lily. It's based on Dash and Lily's book of dares, which is a book by David Levithan and Rachel Cohn, the same people who wrote Nick and Nora's infinite playlist. Uh, so if you enjoyed that movie or that book, uh, it's a very similar teenage rom-com with kind of a clever premise where they only communicate through a journal where they dare each other to try new experiences over their holiday break. So it's very light, uh, good, good kind of, uh, you know, appetizer to get you into the holiday mood. Uh, 30 minute episodes. There's eight episodes out now on Netflix and uh, it's quite good. So check it out. That is Dash and Lily on Netflix. Christian Spicer, what about you? One will be vague, but if he wants me to be more specific or first and last name him, I will. But I need to shout out to Greg. That's my parting gift. It's just like, thank you, buddy. I've talked to you online, but I wanted to say it here as well. Uh, the one for everybody is The Crown. It's also on Netflix. Speaking of Game Pass being a great value, Netflix, you keep raising rates, but I stay subscribed. Um Man, The Crown is a triumph of a of a series, in my opinion. I have not finished this current one. Um but the way they handle the the time dashes between seasons and the new actors they bring in to play these roles, it's it's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal television. And there is new The Crown now on Netflix. And I recommend if you haven't watched any of it, starting at, at season one, because it's just it's really well done. It's 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 really well done. It's the crown. Very cool. Uh I have uh one that I'll mention really quick, which is I, I mentioned this last week. But I'm going to say it again. Uh, I did a bunch of voices for a video game called Rune 2 Decapitation Edition, uh, which is a big open world, also Norse set, uh, role-playing game with some building elements. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool game. 
And I would love anybody that runs into a character and thinks it's me voicing them to give me a tweet or an email. I'd love to hear you what you think of running into a character that I voiced. Uh, I know I've done a few other video games before, but uh, this one, I think the most wild voices I've done. Uh, and I wonder if anybody's able to pick them out because they're they're pretty different from my normal speaking voice. Also, uh, I will give you a recommendation, uh, and that is <laughs> check out at least the first episode of We Are the Champions on Netflix. A lot of Netflix re- recommendations this week. But We Are the Champions, Rain Wilson uh, narrates and I think produced uh, a show, a reality show. Reality is technically a reality show. It's not a con- contest show, but it is about contests. It's about uh, weird, extreme contests uh, all around the world. And the first episode is about a bunch of people in England, I want to say, that uh, run down a very steep hill. And, oh my gosh, it is some some watching. Did either of you guys see this, by the way? No, I have not. I, I want to check it oh, out man. now, though. Oh my god. I, like, I, I hurt myself laughing so hard. Um, but there's, there's a whole bunch of different episodes. One's about extreme chili eating, which, like, like hot chilies, you know, like the most intense hot peppers that you could possibly eat. Uh, another one is about competitive hairstyling. Uh, it is, uh, it's some good sort of light, fluffy watching and boy, you, you get to watch people kind of putting themselves through things in, in the show. That is, uh, something, it's something, um, I recommend at least watching the first episode with the running down the hill because holy moly, holy moly <laughs> people, whew, people hurting themselves. Um, all right. The listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It was sent in by Eric from Sweden. Eric says, uh, hi, I've been realizing more and more how important the music in video games is to me, which is why I have started listening to game soundtracks long before I play the game. It gives a whole new perspective on the experience and makes you ask questions like, I wonder what's happening now in the game, or maybe this is a boss fight. It contains no spoilers, and it's a perfect way to sit to psych up before starting a new game when you finally play it's really cool to discover the context of the songs and sometimes be surprised by how many wrong oh excuse me by how wrong you were about where and how it takes place you can often find the full soundtracks on youtube in one long clip so you don't have to be interrupted by commercials every time there's a new track have an awesome week and stay safe thanks eric uh what a cool thing listen to the music before you play the game I haven't heard that. Although it reminds me of a friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, <laughs> who used to, uh, when he was a little kid, wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, but he was able to get the soundtracks and he would lie in bed uh, listening to the soundtracks to like Terminator and stuff, uh, imagining what the movie was. And I believe, I don't know this for sure, for certain, but I believe that is the reason he is now a big budget Hollywood movie maker. You know, he's, uh, he's lying in bed imagining what movies would be. And then he just, Put what was in his head on, on the screen. So it's cool. just going like boo 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 boobs, boo 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 boobs, boo boo boo. I think maybe the that's the reason you're not a big budget Hollywood movie maker. <laughs> that's not how the Terminator soundtrack goes. Shot, I think it is. Shot, I think shot in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Um, please stick around if you want to hear our spoiler talk about Miles Morales. But, um. In the meantime, I want to thank Alex Morrell and Christian Spicer again for hanging out with me. I want to thank all our musical contributors, Patrick L. Sean Madigan and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. 
And I want to thank all of you who download our show and listen every week. Truly, in this week of Thanksgiving, as Christian mentioned, we are grateful, truly grateful that you welcome us into your ear holes every week. We wouldn't be here. We're coming up on our eighth anniversary. Uh, and I, I can't even believe that's true, but it is. And uh, we're grateful that you have uh, sustained this show for that long, that you still want to listen to our goofy meanderings on video games. Uh, and we'll be here each and every week that you continue to listen. So thanks for that. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right. As I said, full spoilers for the campaign for... Miles Morales, Spider-Man. You are warned. At this point, we will be talking full spoilers for the game. So let's start with you, Alex. What what did you think of the way the story was told and uh, the ending of the game? Anything you want to bring up? Have at it. You know, the thing that strikes me about not only this, but also the PS4 Spider-Man is how great they do at remixing known quantities in the Spider-Man universe. And I've seen, you know, I, I spoke to the fact that uh, I don't know that much about Miles Morales, but I, of course, did see Into the Spider-Verse a couple of years ago when that came out. And so being aware of who uh, Uncle Aaron is and, and who he is as the Prowler as well, um, when this game started, I didn't even think I was going to see the Prowler. But yeah. when he enters the game and kind of acts as an ally to Miles and then ultimately betrays him and, you know, goes back and forth on all of that. Um, that's probably one of the most uh, one of the biggest story elements that I really enjoyed is kind of his relationship with with Uncle Aaron. Yeah, um, I thought that fight with the Prowler was pretty excellent, too. It was really a, a cool how, how his powers played out against yeah. what you have to do as the player. I thought it was I thought it was a pretty neat fight. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that, that stuff, especially kind of late here in the game, I think uh, was some of my favorite. Um, and I kind of wish we got to spend more time with developing these relationships with yeah. Uncle Aaron and also Finn as well, who I think is a creation for the game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, I don't know her from the comics, Christian, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, obviously the Tinkerer is an established mm-hmm. character, but that, that is- take on the Tinkerer is cool. Yes, Phineas, right, is like yeah. like an old white dude is yeah. the tinker. Yeah. And I don't know if there's been an ultimate version. I don't or I No, don't, yeah, the tinker I think was like one of the foundations of the ultimate universe as far as like was given all the bad guys their suits and stuff. Was this like nebulous force that was making all of the bad guy suits, but not um, but not like a young woman, right? No, like, no, no, I don't think so. No. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's interesting the way, like, again, it's very much in line with, I think I have not read every, I, I think the original Tinkerer is a Stan Lee creation. Um, if I remember correctly, so yeah, I've not it, read every book that way. that Tinkerer has been in, but I, I like the way it seems, as I was saying, like they captured the essence of a character, I think, and done it in a, in a new and fresh way that I think is really interesting. And, and I haven't read every, I, I don't know if I've read every miles book. I think I have, and I don't recall Finn. Um, in those stories, but someone's probably yelling at me if, if she's been in it. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I'm not aware of it either. Uh, and I, I think I would know, I would remember if I had seen that. I, so maybe I just missed it, but, um, I will, I will say I despise nanotech. It just, I just hate it. I just don't, it's just, it's just gobbledygook. It's just basically magic, yeah. right? The fact that you can manifest a sword whenever you want or manifest a jacket or boots or a helmet or anything. It's just like, ugh. Ugh, it's it's so 
it just feels cheap. It doesn't feel earned. It's just like, oh, okay, it's nanotech. Ugh. Anyway, I didn't like it in the Marvel movies when they switched Iron Man to having nanotech instead of chunky, cool armor that had to be put on. Um, and I, you know, didn't like it here either, but it's a minor gripe for what is a really kind of cool design for the main bad guys and for the tinkerer and how they have those jet boots and like the look and feel of all of that stuff is, is pretty rad. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those things that if, if you really, so I loved this game. I, I loved the game. I thought the story, I thought the performances were really great. Um, and I loved the, the gameplay, the minute by minute gameplay. But I think if you really kind of dive into the minutia of the details, it's like, this is a militarized city. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Roxxon yeah. Corp has like these red Gears of War slash Iron Man looking soldiers. This yeah. nanotech somehow isn't out in the wild. Like, I'm not going to get into policing and how the PS4 game addressed policing and what the actual state of NYPD is. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff. Just in this game. Like, I cannot imagine being a New York City police officer. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And there's that section at the end where all hell breaks loose on the streets and it really is this massive riot. I just, I thought that sequence of rushing through the city and not, it's not, I feel like the easy version of that would have been a backdrop for a, a chase or a, you know, you have to swing through the city in a certain amount of time to get to the thing. And what you're seeing below you is chaos, but no, the game says, no, miles not only has to get to a place he needs to eliminate all of the bad stuff that's happening all around the city at the same time, right? You you have to actually engage in this turf war that's happening between these massive factions. And I thought that was really compelling and a, a felt climactic and awesome that the entire city is at war, you know, it was, it was cool. Yeah, I, I think really well done. But again, just like the nuance of like, yeah, this nanotech was a thing that's real and like this, they kind of explain it, but like this upstart group of like young kids has it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, weird. Finn, yeah. their leader, because she's a genius, so she took over the other. But yeah. I kind of love that because that's also how comics are a lot. Yeah, for it's me. very Spider Man y. Yeah, like, yeah, like literally everyone. Because he's married to a woman in space. <laughs> yeah, and everyone also, everyone you know is also a superhero like yeah of course your uncle and your girlfriend you know like yeah the girl the girl that's in your life and you know it's like everybody you know is a superhero and it just take it in stride you know just take it in stride nothing unique about that yeah um, but i love yeah. the relationships between the characters and those small moments and i think it is the pandemic talking but i got misty-eyed a couple of times like at the end the, the mother is like mm-hmm. the emotion on the face i think the captures it's not uncanny valley you know it's not overly realistic to pull you away but it conveys emotion really well and miles when he's beat up and unmasked laying there on the ground and i love their version of that spider-man yeah uh, the toby mcguire movies had a great version of that as well it's been in the comics really well of like spider-man is the city the city is spider-man yeah and they'll defend him Mm -hmm. the the game it's i thought it was interesting how they play sort of fast and loose with his uh secret identity you know i think i think in this postmodern superhero world where we all go there's no such thing. Nobody would be able to keep their secret identity secret. I feel like there's been an acceptance of that across, you know, even in the movies and stuff. But I thought it was interesting how, you know, he, his mom finds out in this game that he's Spider-Man, you know, everybody basically finds out he's Spider-Man. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Like they're not worried about that so much. 
Yeah, even Uncle Aaron being able to tell by his voice. Right. You yeah. know, it's it's one of those things. It's calling a spade a spade. Like, you, yeah, it's Superman trying to get away with putting glasses on. It, it, it's, <laughs> you know, it feels like this game kind of deals with it in a much more realistic way, which I think is good to appreciate. And something that the PS4 uh, first game uh, didn't really bother to address. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll highlight... One other thing I really loved, and then one other knit. I'll maybe start with the knit. And it's funny how much a, a couple of years can make. I found JJJ, J. Jonah Jameson's podcast network. Um, and maybe this is a, a reaction I was supposed to have, repulsive. Whereas I found it amusing in the first game, but I feel like we've descended so much into conspiracy. It's like, is this yeah. making fun of it or is this just what it is now? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to listen to it. I didn't, I, that humor had been lost on me because of 2020. Whereas in the first game, I was like, oh, reinventing JJJ as a, you know, conspiracy theorist pod. It's totally what he'd be now. It's just hysterical. And oh, it's so funny. And then this time I was like, I don't like this. I felt a little dirty, but that's me. That's not a reflection of the game, I think, it, or even the world in which it was made. <laughs> um, the thing I loved, um, and this is not on the, my stream if you watch it, because <laughs> I had to stop but i i loved how they hinted back to the venom uh not spider-man's powers but uh harry as venom in the symbiote suit and i love as you flashed back into the museum all of that mars rover stuff was like oh yeah set up set up we know what this is and if not it's just nice character moments but if so you're like "Uh uh-huh 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 i really like that yeah it seems like that's where they're headed uh for whatever the next game is which is pretty cool and exciting um I uh, I wonder what you guys think about the, I mean, you talked about this a little bit in our main discussion of it, but of the length of the game. I mean, obviously the game was priced a little lower, I think, to reflect the fact that it wasn't a, I don't know, full game experience length that they would, Insomniac would consider to be a, you know, $60, $70 game. But did you, Alex, did you feel like the length was better did you feel it was it was more palatable at at a sort of a shorter brisker pace or did you miss the you said you wish they had a little more time to spend with some of these characters did you miss that yeah i think the thing is this is not a game like if you hold this apples to apples to the first i keep wanting to call it the first spider-man game but it certainly isn't the first spider-man game but spider-man on the ps4 uh clearly there's a pretty big disparity in length, even with doing everything, which I completed everything in the, in the PS4 game, um, you know, doing everything in miles Morales isn't quite going to get you to the same hour count. But what I think the real issue for me is, is just the fact that like, I feel as though some of the development and story of miles suffers because it doesn't quite have enough time to really, really get you there you know as much as i enjoyed finn being the tinkerer and kind of setting up these old childhood friends as like in opposition with each other i wish we would have gotten more about their relationship beyond just kind of like here's a couple collectibles throughout the city that we hid when we were kids and then also the flash Mm. the flashback sequence towards the end of the game i think is really really good between both of them but i think they could have done a little bit more to kind of inform you about some of miles's life from beforehand and also miles's father is almost nowhere in this game other Mm -hmm. than being spoken around with with aaron and his mother so i think um 
it would have been nice for them to have a little bit of room to play with this cast the same way that we got some of that for Peter in in the in the first game. Yeah, I mean they they slow play Doc Ock so beautifully uh-huh. in that first game. Um and you, you really yeah, you really don't get to a Dr. Octopus. You you're with Octavius for many, many hours, you know, in his lab dealing with him, establishing that relationship, seeing the rapport that Peter has with him before a Dr. Octopus ever shows up. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't I, even it, think it was going to happen in that game, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you're right. I, I, that, that would be my only gripe with this game is how rushed everything sort of feels. And it's weird to say that. And, you know, if this was a two hour movie, would, yeah. you know, but, it, but, the, and it's much longer than that, but it also still feels like we get to, Finn being the tinker so quickly and, mm-hmm. you know, and the reveal of his uncle as, as, um, uh, you know, as a the super prowler. villain as well. Yeah. The prowler couldn't come up with that. Um, it happens really like on a dime, you know, it's, it, it just feels like there isn't enough room to breathe for all that stuff. Um, it would have benefited from that. I mean, the, I think the game story is still excellent and still really well told, but, um, that would be, you feel like if this game was another year off, maybe they would have been able to yeah. know, pad out the story and have it feel a little more um, organically told like that. Well, I think there is more story to tell, certainly, in the events in this game. I, I really liked the link. And I, I I don't know if I talked about it on this show before. Maybe just you and I have talked about it, Jeff. But I, I like stories where you come into a world. And I feel like that's what Spider-Man Miles Morales is. I think both literally in that it's, you know, a standalone expansion, you know, like a experience built around this other game kind of thing. Um, But also I think figuratively where you are coming into this world that does exist and there's other things that have happened. Like Finn is the tinker at the start of that game. It's not as if she becomes a tinker. You don't find out, Mm -hmm. but that's also when Miles finds out. And I think they do a pretty good job and some of it's shorthand but telling you about their relationship. And some of it is a little more, maybe it was in some of the side missions or not, but like kind of this kid grappling with a lost friend. He also had not seen her for a while. So it's kind of, I felt like I was kind of in his shoes where it's like, oh man, I have these fond memories of this person, but I'm not sure who this person is anymore. And I think they did a good job from, for me at least, from the story perspective of having Miles be my window into that. And I was also Miles as like this new experience miles didn't know what happened to her brother she wasn't forthcoming about it so the character kind of learned that at the same time and you're you're home for the holidays and what that experience is like you know either as early in college or if you're at a boarding school or you know that kind of environment to seeing that and you didn't know what happened with your uncle you know this is something that your father and mother protected you from and you didn't know what that falling out was your father died your mom's been very busy like life is weird and that it moves on but at the same time stands still i think that's very true for me personally this year and i think the game did a really good job representing that and maybe i was filling in those cracks with my own personal experiences but it's like yeah this is kind of what happened you just find out you know it's like I'm, we don't need to, but it's like in my extended family, there was like a bunch of death not too long ago. And it's like, we just found out a day. It was like, Oh mm. my gosh, what Damn. a day. And like the, the prowler's been a super villain for a very long time. 
or, mm-hmm. you know, arguably a very long time. And so I feel like we're stepping into this New York, this Spidey was, is now nine years, Peter, as Spider-Man. And all this other stuff is happening. And here's Miles coming to terms with it. And I think maybe it could have benefited if it was a stand, what it is a standalone release, but whatever that word is, I'm looking for a (laughs) bigger game of like miles grappling with that. But I think the end of the game is that right. Is that reflection period. There's a beautiful phone call at the end where between miles and his mom. And she's like, don't, I forget the the quote, but it's like, don't put Finn into a box in her life or in her death. Mm -hmm. And I, I think he's having those moments. So to me, that story, the briskness of the story worked of like, Sometimes life hits you upside down the head. And that's what happened. Like Pete's gone. Miles is like, I got this. It's going to be easy breezy in my little part of New York. And the world was like, no, kid, you don't. Here it comes. And I thought it was pretty beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I think that's well said. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Alex? Uh, the one other thing I was thinking, the the last few moments where you get to see uh, Miles and Peter swinging together in the city, speaking of things that we kind of hope to see in the next game, yeah, I would love to see even like a two, some two player co op missions where you have both Spider Men running around or something of that nature, just to kind of like totally. really see them interacting together with you know whether it's both of you stealthily taking out a room full of like fifty enemies or whatever it would be. Uh, I think there could be something cool there as well, or totally. whatever other yeah. characters they bring in, like Spider Gwen or you know the Spider Verse is very popular these days, so. uh you know, spider ham be damned or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they go. They have a, they have a lot of possibilities. Um, and uh, I, I also really thought that was beautiful and the relationship they have together is, is really cool. And, uh, it's neat to see them coexisting in the, in the universe. Um, yeah. Excellent game. Excellent game. Can't, I can't fault it, uh, in, in too many ways. It's really fun. They have that formula down. And, uh, I think the story is beautiful in a lot of ways. And I think Christian, you summed it up very, very well. So I tried to follow Peter out of the museum, uh, during the flashback after he and off yeah. chatting and you can't, he like goes down a hallway and I was like, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, <laughs> I am following spider Oh, dang it. <laughs> it was a cool moment when you bump into him. I thought that was neat. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. fun. All right. Well, that's our discussion of Miles Morales, Spider-Man. And uh, we appreciate you listening. See you next week.